It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Antonio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, I can tell you this is not how we thought the show was going to go today. And boy, did it take a turn, and it turned to the right really fast. The commander was over at my house as we're preparing the new studio, which I think a lot of you are going to love. Yes, you're going to see it on video. Uh, down the line here, we're, we have the sound panels, the foam that we had to put in water, so they expand. So we, we're in my backyard, and all of a sudden, Matt Olson is traded to the Atlanta Braves. And next thing you know, both of our cell phones absolutely start blowing up. And it's hard to believe that Matt Olson no longer is an Oakland Athletic. And there's a couple different ways to look at this. As a fan, it absolutely sucks. I there, There's no other way uh, that I can sell it to you. It absolutely sucks. Matt Olson was a terrific Oakland Athletic, came up through the system, 142 home runs, really, really fast, a career 859 OPS for the athletics, which is absolutely fantastic. It is it's heart heartbreaking. He's gonna be twenty-eight years old coming up here on March twenty-ninth. He's a Pisces just like myself. By the way, my last show in my forties is I will turn fifty tomorrow. Some people will be like, Yay, you turned fifty, isn't that great? Some people will say, Wow. You're lucky you made it to 50, and I might have to agree with some of them. I personally think that in the next five years, Matt Olson will be a guy that will at least in these next five, so take him 28 season, 29, 31, 32, by 32 in the next five years, he will at least start to earn himself a guy that will get Hall of Fame votes. When you have all those home runs, because home runs beyond the steroid era will mean something again. Like the numbers, like you get the 500 home runs again, 
you get to over 400, it's going to mean something. Where there was some shine taken off it when so many guys were getting to it, it'll get back to because these guys are clean, and it's a huge achievement. And you throw on the defense, and you throw on the gold gloves. He'll, I mean, that's an honor just to get votes. He will get votes. I don't know if he'll become a Hall of Famer. I don't know if his career will match to that. I, I, I said it. If I had to make a bet on one guy to win an MVP trophy and everybody was like, well, Simeon, or, you know, because Simeon got third place, had a phenomenal year, but Trout and Bregman were just ahead of him. Matt Chapman, my money was on Olsen. So it hurts to see him go. And I want to talk about this trade in a couple different ways, but I first want to address it as a fan. This sucks. And I know if you ask Billy Bean, and I know if you ask David Force, and I know if you ask anybody in the front office, and I know if you ask anybody uh, on the coaching staff or Mark Kotze, the new manager, how do you feel it sucks? There's no other way to put it. And I feel bad for you fans. And I feel bad for all of us that watch this and care about this on a daily basis to watch a talent like this go. See, Chris Bassett, I could sell the Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett's 33 years old. You're getting something for a guy that's got one year left on a deal. Who knows what his career is going to be like? He's 33. You got a pitcher potentially for the future and a pitcher that could be in your rotation this year. And this Gen guy, if he can give you a few years, so I, I could see that. You could sell that. This, you can't sell this. This is just, as, a, as just a fan, because you don't care about the business side, you don't care about the money side, nor should you. That's not what being a fan is. Being a fan is loving the team today. March 14th, I love this team. I love the guys on this team. Now, front offices don't think that way, nor should they. But as a fan, you don't care about next year or the year after that or the year after that or 2028 or 2030. You care about today. What what am I going to see today? What am I going to see on April 8th, opening day? And you're not going to see your big all-star first baseman. And that is really hard to swallow. So that's how I wanted to start the show out today. There's no other way I could present this to you as an A's fan. I'm sick to see him go. Everybody else that could be traded, I'm like, all right, I, I, I can get over that. Seriously. This was the one, this was the guy that I'm on record going, hey man, there's one guy I'm I'm putting my money in. Now, with that said, let's get to the business side. This was a shrewd ass deal. This was shrewd on both sides. Think about this for the Atlanta Braves. Just think about that. You just won the World Series. You are basically telling your franchise hero who just won the World Series, see you later. We just got younger, we got more flexible, 
I don't want to say cheaper because I don't know how much Matt Olson is going to cost long term. Because if you're going to keep him long term, he's not going to be cheap. But you just told your franchise player, take a hike. Thanks for helping us win a World Series. Take a hike. You know how all of us always, you know, we're worried about jersey sales and names on the back of the jersey and all of that. Think about all the people that have Freeman on the back of their jerseys. And they just said, see ya. But they got more flexible. They got younger. That is a shrewd move. The the definition of shrewd, having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Another way to look at it, piercingly cold. That's how you say this deal. Now, from the A's point, yeah, you just took their number one prospect. You just got yourself in it. When you were looking at a horrific outfield, You just took their number one prospect. You just took a guy that's got a little bit of uh, big league experience. You're talking about a guy that uh, played on a team last year in the big leagues that won a World Series. He's 23 years old. Could he be a star? Can he be a star? Don't know. But Christian Pache is a guy that A lot of people like, and the Braves had to give up a lot. Langoliers is how I believe you say the next guy's name, the catcher, Shea Langoliers. Commander, is he their number two prospect? Yeah, he's number two. So you got their one and two prospects. Yeah, number one and two in their system. MLB.com has uh, Pache the 38th overall prospect, and Langoliers the 69th overall prospect. So you got two top 100 guys, according to MLB.com, and Keith Law actually um, just did his evaluation of the trade, which we can go over in a bit. But, um, yeah, those are two guys, and you got two younger starting pitchers. I believe um, Estes was a – or, no, um, Cusick was a t- first-rounder in 2021, and Keith Law says he may have had the best fastball in the draft. And then right-hander Joey Estes has been in Atlanta – was Atlanta's 16th-round pick in 2017. So you got four guys – and you immediately just got the best prospect in your organization. I got to believe Soderstrom, uh, he's young. I got to believe Pache because he's someone that still hasn't had a lot of big league time, will still be considered a prospect. He'll immediately become your number one prospect. Uh, Langoliers will immediately become a top three, top four prospect for you. I know it's tough to swallow, but this was a shrewd move. You helped just restock your system for the future. And when you talk about shrewd moves, unfortunately, this is a business. And with a business, moves are made that you're not going to love. I mean, the Bay Area has lost a lot of great athletes. A lot of big names have been moved. Joe Montana got traded. Willie Mays got traded. Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, you can go down the line of great players who have left the Bay Area. Ricky Henderson has been moved how many times? Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco. 
I just, it's tough. But it was very shrewd, and long-term could be a great move. But right now, and I'm, you know, I'm still going to root for hell, for, root like hell for Chris Bassett with the Mets and now Olsen with the Braves. And we know with these ex-players, that as they leave, that, you know, they'll always be friends. And they'll always adore their time in Oakland. And they really, what I have seen over the years, is when they leave, they appreciate it more. And you hear it when they come on this program. You know, when a Kurt Suzuki comes on this program and talks about what this place means to him. When Sean Doolittle came last year and talked about what this place means to him. The same thing with Bassett. The same thing with Olsen. They'll all have that. There's something special about Oakland when you play here. You're hoping that, you know, one of these guys would be a franchise guy. But let's face it. As we said, Matt Olson is going to be, what did I say, he's going to be 28? Yeah, this will be his age 28 season. Okay. And this gets back to the biggest overall black black cloud that has hung over this franchise for a long time. Folks. The real is it's March 14th, 2022. And there's still no stadium deal. It's March 14th. Remember all the votes. Remember all the stuff. People followed on Twitter. People get all excited. It's still March 14th, and we don't have a deal with anybody. There's not a deal here. There's not a deal in Vegas. And tomorrow I'm going to wake up March 15th on my birthday. I'm 50 years old. I've been dealing with this as long as you have. I've been in the media here in the Bay Area now for a long, long time. Well over 20 years. I got into this, what, when I was 26? I'm 50 tomorrow? How long have we been talking about this? And we're still not there. And it's shrewd business, and it sucks, but this is a reality. 2028, we don't even have a deal done today. 2028, at the earliest? How old's Matt Olson in 2028? 33? That'll be six years. He turns 28 at the end of the month. So six years, it'll be 34. 34 when the new ballpark shows up? Every single day goes by that we don't have biting, uh, by, I'll say Biden, binding agreements and shovels in the ground. Every day that goes by, every day these projects get pushed back, you're not keeping the players. Every single day, and, and this is taken forever, and we're still not there. You can hate it, and I expect you to hate it. I hate it. That running joke, I hope I'm not retired by the time a new ballpark comes. 
But you, if you, if you want me to give you the real, I'll give you I'll give you two things. Here's the real. This sucks, and the reality is we're nowhere even near a ballpark. I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing in concrete that says this is a go, and it's March fourteenth, twenty twenty two. And as a business, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And whether it's the A's or the Braves, this was a shrewd business move. And I know you can be angry, but can you really argue with it? When we're talking 2028, does it... Does anybody listening right now know where they're going to be in 2028? Can you guarantee me where you're going to be in 2028? And you know the answer is no. Hopefully you're alive. Hopefully your family's good. You're good. There's love in your life. There's there's wealth and happiness and everything, passion and all these great things that life has to offer. I hope they're with you in 2028. But you can't guarantee any of it. And every single day that goes by, this new ballpark gets pushed out even further. What's going to happen when we hit midsummer and, you know, I don't even know when the next vote is. It's exhausting. If you think the lockout was exhausting, that was only 99 days. The the pursuit for a new ballpark is exhausting. You want to talk about wake me up when there's a shovel in the ground? I mean, how many more votes? How many more this? How many more that? All I know is every day it goes by, the longer it's pushed out. So you're going to sign up a guy. And here's the other one that, you know, if we want to be fair, let's be fair to everybody. I don't know if we're going to get him first. Whoever gets David Forrest first needs to ask one question needs to ask the question, did you talk to Matt Olson's agent and were they interested in an extension? So you're going to get a yes or no on that. And if they, if he says yes, we did, and then the next question is, was the price, was the price tag too high? Once again, for a team that's not looking to open up a ballpark till at least 2028. Did you or did you not speak to his agent about an extension? Because in the end, and I think here is the wink-wink with Matt Chapman, there's got to be two to tango. Everybody acts like this is all the organization. Everybody acts like it's the A's are making these decisions and no one else has a decision to make. And you might go, wait a minute, that's kind of confusing. What? A player has to want to be here. A player has to want to sign. You can't force players to stay anywhere anymore. That's not how this works. They have X amount of time and then they have the ability to leave. And you always end up finding out the more the information once a player leaves. He turned down this. He wanted this. He never wanted to be here in the first place. But if he wanted to be here, he wanted X, which, of course, we were not going to pay. Details, the inner details for us are not going to be out yet. 
Matt Olson. We're going to hear from him. He's talked before he left. He's going to tell you, yeah, it sucks, but I'm going down to my hometown team. It's generic stuff. Was he interested, and was the price tag too high? Maybe he wasn't even interested. What if Matt Olson's representation said, yeah, odds are, David, we're not going to resign here. Well, then obviously you got to move him. So in every business deal, there's multiple sides. But in baseball business deals, there's two sides. There's the franchise side. There's the player side. I can take you back to Josh Willingham. Remember Josh Willingham said he wanted to stay here? He never wanted to stay here. He just gave us the lip service saying he wanted to be here. You know, Matt Chapman can say he wants to be here. Okay, Matt Chapman, here's an offer for 110. Yeah, we want over 200 million. Okay. So before we before we get to conclusions on what went down, we got to know, you know, the players got to want to be here. The players got to know the price tag. The players got to be comfortable with that price tag or you got to move them. Or if the organization never even made an offer and never really talked about it, well, then you can judge the organization any way you want. But we got to have the facts to really evaluate whether we're super mad and who we're super who we're super mad at. You know, did Matt Olson come to the A's and or did they come together with the the agent and say, "I want to be here. Let's put together a fair deal." And a fair deal would have been to me over a hundred million. Or the agent goes, my guy's going to be worth well over $200 million. We're, yeah, it's not going to work out here. And with a ballpark not coming until at the very earliest 2028, you're not paying somebody $200 million. It's not going to happen. You're not going to see that in Oakland. You're not going to see it in Tampa. You're just not going to see it. Try and sell this to the Braves fans. That's the... You know, this is... It always is surprising to me the reaction from my friends who have my cell phone number who all of a sudden they start it, it it like it's like it's all it's like you forget how business has worked in the past. This is kind of the MO of the business model right now. Until until there's guarantees and until you know there's a ballpark Things are going to kind of be how they've been run. And you're going to have to hope that these new players that are coming in in the next couple of years blossom and you go on another run based on the model that you have, the model that you've been going on. But signing guys long term to huge contracts, that shouldn't shock you. That has not been a part of the model. And they've told us it's not going to be the model until you have the revenue streams in the new ballpark. So we shouldn't be shocked, but yet we still are. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't don't feel like you shouldn't be mad. Don't feel like you shouldn't be shocked. You should. You're a fan. You care about today. You don't care about 2028. But we do have to we we have to talk about the fans' viewpoint, and we have to talk about the business side. But how do the Braves sell this? It reminds me of Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. Albert Pujols has just won a World Series with the Cardinals. Supposedly, the only other team in play 
was the Marlins. Were they, Cody, the Florida or Miami Marlins then? Well, that that first year the pool host was in L.A., they would have moved to their new ballpark, so they would have been Miami? Or did they switch when they moved to the ballpark? Uh, you know what? Don't know and don't care. <coughs> Excuse me. That went down the wrong pipe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the last time we probably saw something like this was Albert Pujols. But still it's different because the Cardinals didn't bring somebody in and, and, and eventually cut the cord with Pujols. Pujols took the phantom team out of nowhere because if you remember at those winter meetings, it was – well, it's between the Cardinals and the Marlins, and the Marlins are going to offer more money because they want to build around him and bring a Hispanic player down to Little Havana. You remember all that talk about why he was going to go to Miami? And then out of nowhere, here comes Artie Moreno and the huge check. But this is this is you going and cutting the cord with the player, not the player cutting the cord with the organization. But you have a star player, franchise player, your your biggest franchise player since Chipper Jones. You just won a World Series, and you just told him bye bye. Essentially, I I believe Alex Antopoulos, their GM, was speaking about it, and it looked like he was almost <clears throat> to tears talking about how, you know, it's probably going to be the end of Freddie Freeman. Now, where's he going to end up? We keep hearing Dodgers and Yankees. That's all you keep well, hearing. Well, let's just say this. Not only, not only did you tell him goodbye, in a way, you took some of his leverage away. You kind of kicked him, too. Because he always had, hey, the Braves still want me. Hey, I can always go back to my team. We just won the World Series. Hey, L.A., hey, New York, you need to pay me more money. If you want me to leave my team, well, now he doesn't have that leverage. Remember, this is all negotiating. It's business. Not exciting. I know fans don't love to hear all this, and if you're a Braves fan, you'd hate to hear this. But let's let's be honest. The Braves were always the fallback, just the way the Cardinals were the fallback for Albert Pujols. I can always go back to my team. I can always go back to the team I just won a World Series with. That's why you need, as Anaheim, you need to pay me more money. You need to give me more years. Freddie Freeman just lost that. That's that's shrewd, man. That is some shrewd business performed by the Atlanta Braves. And, you, and you've mentioned it already once or not, several times about Freddie Freeman's age. He's 32. He'll be 33 in September. So it's not like he's a Matt Olson's age at age 28. And he was leaving. Atlanta's not bringing him back. He's already in his, his early to mid-30s now. Well, mid, early 30s. So you're right. I mean, he's probably – I mean, most likely he's going to come in. What are you going to do, D.H. Matt Olson? He's a gold-glove first baseman. Freddie, Freddie Freeman's only won one so in his career. So Olson will be playing first base. Now, what do the Braves do with the rest of their lineup? But that, that's – you know, we don't know yet. But Freddie Freeman, between the Dodgers and Yankees, the Dodgers will probably throw him more money. And you probably have a better chance to win in L.A. than you do in New York. Right now, the way that, that is just that is just you, you're spitballing. Well, yeah, because none of us know. None of us. Well, I mean, 
But you, you, you have no history with the Dodgers to say that they'll take an older player under this regime and give them a long-term big-money contract. We have not seen this regime throw around money at all. Except, yeah, well, the biggest deal they still signed ever was as a free agent was that deal they gave A.J. Pollock. I was like four for 60. 60. Yeah. You, and he's not, wasn't in his 30s. Yeah, he's in his 30s now. But They gave think- Mookie Betts. The only big deal, long-term deal they've given is Mookie Betts. Yeah, and that was That's resigning it. him. That's not- it. That's it. Because really the Trevor Bauer deal was only a two-year deal with those options. There's an opt-out in the after the second year. There's an opt-out after the third year. So that that really was just a two-year deal. So when you say, oh, Freddie Freeman long-term, I don't know. We've never seen the Dodgers go long-term with a guy that's going to be 33 years old. And the Yankees have not seemed to be looking to go, go older long-term anymore with players. Brian Cashman realized that's not, that's not, that's not the way he wants to go, right? Yeah, I mean, and now that he's now that he's picked up fifty million dollars from Josh Donaldson's contract, so how much can you really throw around for Freddie Freeman now if, after he did that deal to get Josh Donaldson? Yeah, did we? It's basically been like a full off season in three days. Uh, pretty much. Fernando Tatis Jr. If you haven't heard, that's something we're gonna Matt Matt Kalahara from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle is gonna join us in moments. Um, yeah. W- we should. Are we going to go over a little bit later all the three hundred million dollar contract guys and how's that, how's that working out? Uh, it's not great so far. <laughs> yeah, you want to sign guy sign guys long term? Uh, talking about moving Trout to left field doesn't sound like he's happy about that. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s got a wrist broken wrist. He's going to be out for three months. Lindor's still a pro. I mean, be very aware. Do we have Matt? Matt, how you doing? Chris Townsend, are you down to spring training? Hey, Chris. Yeah, uh, down here in Mesa, it's been a busy couple of days. No doubt. Just tell me what it was. I believe you guys got a chance to talk to Matt Olson today. I know you uh, probably got him uh, on camera uh, and off. What was it like and what did he say? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it was weird because um, we had actually today was our first full squad workout. Um, and it was also the first day the media was back in the clubhouse in the morning. So we were going to talk to him in the morning. I uh, didn't get a chance before um, they held sort of a team meeting before, uh, you know, first workout. And then uh, when the players came out onto the field, um, he actually didn't come out with them. I guess they had decided to, to hold him in because the trade was getting close and they just needed to finalize some details and they didn't want to risk anything. So he didn't come out onto the field. Um, news obviously broke while everybody was on the field and, and they brought him out in, into the dugout a few minutes later. Um, and, you know, he was, he expressed, you know, both, he said it was bittersweet. I mean, that was the, the word he repeated a couple of times. Um, to be leaving the A's, obviously, the team he spent his entire career with so far. Uh, on the other hand, you know, he's, he's an Atlanta native, um, going to the world, defending World Series champions. Um, and I think, aside from that, he also just kind of expressed a little bit of, a little bit of relief um, at knowing where he's going to be. Um, I mean, there were so many questions, uh, not only about when the season was going to start with the lockout, but whether the A's were going to make moves, when they were going to make moves, who was going to go where. Um, and so I think for him, there was also just a little bit of, a little bit of relief knowing where he was going to go. And the way that he put it was that if he did have to go somewhere, 
um, Atlanta was, was really, you know, it was probably the place that he would choose given his roots there. And the fact that he grew up a Braves fan, um, basically until he was drafted. So, so yeah, it was a mix of emotions, uh, but weird scene overall. And, uh, and yeah, now he's off. All right, so I'm not sure who is going to get their first crack at David Force. I don't know if he's going to come out and do a press conference. I don't know if we're going to get him here on A's cast. But I'm just going to, as an A's fan, if you get him first, what I would want, the, the question I want to have answered is, was there ever talks with Matt Olson's agent about an extension? So it's a yes or no. And if it is a yes, why didn't it get done? Because if it, I mean, obviously, if, if Matt Olson's agent is smart, he would want a lot of money because I think Matt is going to be worth a lot of money. But that's all I'd want to know because a lot of times we just like to blame the organization, but it takes two to tango. A player has to want to be here. He wants to sign long term. So if you get a crack at him before I do, can you ask that if they ever actually got into serious contract extension uh, talks with Matt Olson's agent? You know, we did actually uh, for a few minutes in the dugout um, this afternoon after the trade was, was made. Um, David Force did come out. We did talk to him a little bit. Oh, okay, um, cool. That's, that specific question, yes or no question, was not asked um, before – I think it's been it's been a theme that uh, both Billy Bean and uh, and David Force have repeated it a couple of times is that until there is an agreement in place or until they have a new ballpark, uh, the consideration of a long term extension to the extent that it would take to sign a player like like a Matt Olson um, is not something that they can entertain. Um, obviously, that's that's not the sort of black and white answer that you're that you would look for um, there, but that's what has been expressed. And really that's what force expressed again today. Um, he said that he basically said, this is an example of why we need a new ballpark because that is a great player. And, and, you know, the clean line thing was that until that situation gets resolved, they're not going to be able to keep players like this around. Yeah, it's just it's really tough for fans. You know, it's really tough for fans to talk about building for 2028 or whenever this new ballpark will potentially open. But, yeah, it is it is really, really rough. Uh, what exactly did David have to say about the haul that's coming back for Matt Olson? Uh, he, he said they are excited about that. Um, he said, you know, the four players that they got back are all players that they have scouted, um, you know, extensively and, and feel pretty good about, uh, if you look at some of the sort of the third party evaluations, I think, um, you know, baseball America had all four of these prospects in the top 15, top 14 or 15 in the brave system. Um, the catcher they got back was their number two prospect. Uh, Christian Pache is the guy who has, you know, peaked into the majors a little bit. Um, he's still very young. I think he debuted when he was 21. Um, Force described him as one of the best uh, defensive center fielders uh, in minor league baseball. So, um, I, he, you know, the way that he put it was that's the part that they have to focus on when you give up you know, a player like Nettles and you have to focus on what, what they're getting back. And, and he sounded optimistic about what they're getting back. Um, as for what they're going to do, or if these players can make an impact for them immediately, it's kind of, that's kind of unclear. I mean, we had, Pache would probably be the um, the guy who's 
you know, closest or, or maybe has the best shot. Um, but Forrest did not, he, he said Pache will be in camp, but didn't want to commit to what they're going to do with him or his messages. Basically, let's get him into camp first uh, and see how that goes. Obviously, the A's do or they are going to need a center fielder um, for the first month of the season because, uh, you know, Ramon Laureano still has 27 games left to, to serve on his uh, suspension from last year. But also, who knows what the makeup of the roster is going to look like then or in a week or in two days. So, so there's still a lot of stuff going on. You know, we asked uh, what – what's next for you guys? Are, you, are there still moves? Are you still having talks? And his, his quote was, everything is fluid. So still a lot can change here. What did he have to say about the Bassett trade? Uh, you know, a similar thing where they, they like both of the pitchers that uh, came back. He said that JT Ginn is a guy that they watched in, um, watched in college. You get him out. Um, it sounds like he was the, you know, or it looks like he's, you know, was probably the, the more highly regarded prospect that they got back of the two. Um, the other guy that they got back, Adam Aller, is a guy who's maybe the closer to making an impact for them. Potentially, he's a guy who could maybe uh, potentially help out for them this year. He actually got in today. We talked to him a little bit this morning in the clubhouse. Um, he had a good year last year between AA and AAA. Um, and is probably closer than again he's 22 and uh i think he had, he had tommy john surgery in early 2020 came back last year um so he's you know probably still a little ways away um but but that was you know a similar thing where it's these guys are are guys that they're excited about but uh but it's with an eye you know toward the toward the future instead of instead of now yeah, and a lot of moves probably still to be made. I mean, you start looking. It's it's hard to even think about what the rotation will look like in a couple of weeks. I mean, April 8th is going to be here before you know it. You know, with Chris Bassett gone, you just start to wonder about other guys in the starting rotation. I mean, if you had to bet right now, and I know this is not easy, who the opening day starter is going to be, who do, who would you bet? I I know who I would put my money on. <laughs> uh, that that is a tough one. Um, I guess I don't know. Maybe I guess one of one of Sean and I or Frankie Montas. Uh, if yeah, there's always a possibility that they, that they trade both. Um, but I I I don't know. I'll I'll go with one of those two guys. Um, even though. That's definitely not a scientific answer, and and there are still a lot of changes. What, what, what was your guess? Okay, you're you're. I'm gonna have to get some odds on this, obviously. But what if I told you Cole Irvin? I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, of the guys who are, you know, aside from the two guys we talked about, then you're kind of going down the list. And Cole Irvin was the next uh, next man up in the rotation last year. Him and James Caprillion would be the two returners, unless you know, unless they make a deal where they get. Um, get a starter back who has some major league experience or, yeah. or can um, be somebody who can, you know, pitch toward the front of their rotation. That's always a possibility too. So yeah, it's just, it's, that's, it's so hard to predict what they're going to look like on, on opening day, just because, you know, they don't know. And, um, and there, there could still be a lot of, a lot of changes before then. Yeah. I don't know much about Aller, but I do know at some point he's going to be in this rotation and he's going to get some starts. No, no question about it. Are you surprised mm-hmm. Matt Chapman hasn't been moved yet? Uh, no, I mean I wouldn't say 
no, I wouldn't say surprise. Like it's with the lockout ended on Thursday, Thursday afternoon at like four, four Pacific, and it's Monday. <laughs> I was doing it like uh, not even four full days, um, and there wasn't too much action in the first couple. So, I mean. I know there was a lot of expectation that it was just like the gates were going to open and it was just going to be a free for all, <laughs> free agent signs and trades and all. And there has been a little bit of that, but, um, but I think, you know, it's, it, it was going to take, uh, or it seems like it has taken just a little bit of time for things to warm up again. Um, I mean, the Olsen, the Olsen deal force described it as they had conversations with the Braves at the GM meetings in November about what a possible deal would look like. They talked about some of the players that the A's could get back in a deal like that. Um, and so some of that groundwork was like laid beforehand, but obviously there was still the question at that point about uh, whether the Braves were going to you know, potentially bring back Freddie Freeman. And that was something that stretched over into this side of the lockout. And so he said that really that deal kind of came together quickly and finalized over the last 36 hours or so. So, um, so it does seem like maybe waiting a little bit, but on the other hand, things are, uh, if you look at it in that way, maybe moving, um, moving quickly still. So like I said, they're still in talks, I think. And, and just, you know, looking at the year Olsen had last year and what you, what they were able to get back and the fact that he was probably, you know, pretty clearly the, the, the most valuable, the most attractive um, candidate they had for, for a trade. I think, uh, you know, doing something there um, made sense to do early. Well, yeah, I, I know it's been quick, but, I mean, all the moves that have been made, my God, it's almost like we've had an off season in just a couple of days. And the reason why I wanted to ask about Chapman and the speed of this is I wonder, knowing that his agent is Scott Boris, nor knowing that there's rumors that he's turned down over a hundred million, knowing that he may view himself at the age that he's gonna be at twenty nine of a guy that should be getting 200 million or not do you think any of that could be playing in a uh, a tough call for some teams to trade for because you kind of have an idea what he's gonna what he's gonna want long term uh, I don't know I mean it depends on what, who the team is because like if you're a team who's looking for somebody to come in and uh, you know and potentially give you a boost in immediately um i mean he still has two years of team control left like this is only a second arbitration year um so so there's no requirement for any team that that you know trades for him or requires him to to do something that's long term um they could still you know do a deal and, and have him for two years and and reassess after that um so so i don't know how much of uh how much that's a factor um I mean, maybe just looking at his season last year, uh, I don't know that it makes him more attractive of a, of a trade candidate than he was before that. Um, I can tell you that just that we talked to him yesterday, and he said that uh, coming out of the uh, out of the off season and the lockout off season, put on a lot of weight, he's got some strength back in his not a lot of weight, but he put on some good muscle. He got some strength back in his lower body. He feels like he's even more removed from that hip surgery that he had, and, and feels like he's ready to. Um, to be, you know, to be productive, and he wants to, you know, get back to the form that he was in eighteen and nineteen, except a little bit more experience and a little bit, uh, a little bit stronger and healthier. So, um, so to your, I mean, to your original question, I don't know how much uh, that would be a factor for teams um, that are looking at the possibility here, but I don't know. We'll have to see, uh, have to see where the dust settles with him. With everything that has gone on and with what we think is going to go on before opening day and maybe even after opening day, 
Does this finally answer the questions for A's fans why Bob Melvin is now in San Diego? Uh, I, I, was there a question before? Like, was uh, well, we I, didn't you, we didn't know it with the lockout. We weren't we 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 didn't know who was coming and who was going then. Sure. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean that that was probably an earlier indication. I think I think that well, that was early November that uh, that he left uh, for San Diego, and then it was mid November ish that uh, that forced. Um, attended those GM meetings and basically declared, "Hey, we're open for business." Um, so I don't know. I think there was there was probably a sense that they were heading for something like this, just given the way that a lot of their key core players were um, are in those arbitration years and, and getting toward the later ones, and we're going to be do a lot of um, do some significant raises, and you know we know how they they just handled their um, their payroll in, in you know in the last couple of decades, so. I I don't like if I don't know that it sheds any additional light on maybe it just reinforces um, what, what there were probably a lot of suspicions of um, was that this was days are heading toward sort of an overhaul here um, and you know they had the the front office here they, they and that the team had to allow Melvin to leave his his contract and um, and the, there was an opportunity for him in San Diego with a team that. Looks like they're ready to contend, even though that Tatis news today is not great news for them. Um, but, but yeah, I think uh, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it sheds any additional light, but maybe it just reinforces what people might have thought then. And when you say this is also a reason why Mark Kotze is the perfect guy, because there's going to be some some you know some rocky waves it's not going to be easy but you need somebody that understands the organization somebody who's not brand new who has the relationships has the relationships not only at the big league level but the minor league level when you start to look at the puzzle it's still not complete but the the aspect of mark kotze doesn't it kind of fill in the pieces too about why he's the right guy yeah, I think that's all accurate. Um, I think that the fact that he does have uh, a good amount of continuity here, um, he'll have relationships with the players who are carrying over. Um, he had a long playing career and isn't you know that far removed from from that playing career. So guys who are maybe coming up new um, or young, probably he can still relate to them too. Every player that we've talked to so far about the um, about his hiring. Uh, because, you know, obviously that happened in the lockout, so we weren't able to get a whole lot of player reaction at the time um, to him coming in. But everybody has been, you know, very, you know, effusively positive about it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the points that you made are, are, are all accurate there, and, and that's part of the reason why they wanted him in. Well, let's end on this. What do you expect in the next couple of weeks before opening day? Oh, that is a wide-ranging question. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I I mean, I, I don't, I don't think they're done. I think there are still, uh, you know, moves to be made. Um, I think the the roster is these are really vague answers. I think the roster is just going to look significantly different um, by the time we get to opening day. I think. I mean, I'm trying to remember what the exact quote was from Force today, but he basically said like they might get to opening day without some of the answers. I mean, we were talking about like who's going to be now that Olson's gone. Who's your lead candidate to or lead candidates to to play first base? And asked about the you know Loriano not being there for the first month. Who's gonna you know, who are the lead options to play center field? And uh, he didn't 
offer much clarity there. So like if, um, and I think you, the way that you put it, was there some of these questions that could go down to right before or to opening day? So, I mean, there's so much, the way that it's being described um, or conveyed is that there's just so much uncertainty right now um, about what's going to happen in, in the next few weeks and how the roster is going to change that um, <laughs> might not have answers until we get there. Well, you play center. Cody can play left. All DH. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know how much ground I'm going to be able to cover out there, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you guys can back me up then in the gap, that sounds good. All right, my man, enjoy spring training, the, the, the brief version of it, and we'll see you back here in the Bay Area. All right, thanks, Chris. Sounds good. Matt Kalahara from the San Francisco Chronicle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, tough to, it's tough to answer questions when there's a lot of unknown. But, you know, it's like it's not like the first time we've gone through this. It's not like we don't know how to handle this. It's not, you know, like Cody said to me in my backyard today, he was like, Ah, oh, the post-game show. Yeah, it's not going to be my first rodeo when it comes to a post-game show after things change, things evolved. Happens with, you know, Tom Brady was retired, and the next thing you know, I get off the golf course yesterday, and Tom Brady's back. A lot of things, you know, you're dealing with human beings. There's going to be a lot of change. And unfortunately, you know, a team that they spent some resources on last year to try and help – Get get over the line. Didn't get over the line. They won 86 games, finished in third place. And now you just look at, you know, what what the facts tell you to do. And do the facts tell you to dump money into this team and try and save it? Facts are, in the, the baseball business world, I don't think anybody who is a sharp executive – and once again, I'm going to tell you, as a fan, this sucks. It's no fun. But there's not one sharp baseball mind that would have told you this team is worth saving the way it's constructed. Well, no, we. I mean, we, you just you just joked about who plays in the outfield. Like we went over this the other day. Who was going to play at each position? And it's uh, the pitching rotation. I agree with Matt. I don't think the rotation is going to be the same. I don't think. I think Cole Irvin was a good choice for you by saying he could be the opening day starter uh, because I don't know. There's been so many rumors going around on Twitter. Now, I don't uh, – most of the time I believe everything I read on Twitter, but sometimes you can't, and Manaya's name's been thrown around a lot. And I haven't seen Frankie Montas's name thrown around too much, but it's been Manaya a lot. You know, you got to start wondering, well, now that they got the, – the organization acquires Shea Langoliers, who was a 2019 first-round draft pick by the Braves as a catcher. What does that mean for Sean Murphy? Because you also have Tyler Soderstrom, who is also a catcher. So there's a lot of things you have to think about going forward for this organization and the team that's going to be on the field this year that's going to be completely different from the team we saw last year. Now, we're going to see Steven Piscotty back, who's going to be healthy, but he's in the last year of his deal. So there's still going to be a lot. I mean, Matt's probably right. There's going to be a lot of changes coming, and I don't want to – the Mariners just pulled off of trade. Yeah, what you were trying to tell me. So the the Mariners – got to see how this works. Cody turns my microphone down, moves his headset, and then, like, says something real quick. At the same time, Matt's talking, and I need to listen to him, and I got to get ready for the next question. So the Mariners to the Marlins? What? No, no. It's Mariners and Reds made a trade, and the Mariners are getting outfielder Jesse Winker, okay. who was an, uh, an all-star last year for them. Yeah. His year last year, he hit, two, uh, hit 305 with 24 homers. 
drove in 71 runs. Those numbers all come down in Seattle. At a 140 OPS plus, and he's 28 years old. They also got Eugenio Suarez, who hit 31 home runs last year, hit 198, had a a negative 0.7 more, but two years ago, or 2019, he hit 49 home runs. And the Great American Band Box. Yeah, Great American Small Park is what they call it. So they got those two guys. I don't know if the return's been out. I've been holding it up to see what it was. So the Mariners are beefing up. Yeah, so the Mariners are getting those two guys to put in their alf- their lineup, and then you got to we got to see what they're going to give up. But they're going forward too. I mean, Joey, Jerry Depoto woke up the day the lockout ended and pretty much said, "I f- I woke up feeling like transacting today." Although he's waited a few days, there's the move they made getting Winker and, and Suarez from the Reds so far. I really mean on the Katze deal that if you just look at it from a business standpoint, he really is the perfect guy, right? And Obviously, when Bob Melvin left, you heard. If you listen to Bob Melvin's last interview here on Ace Cast, he was brought to tears. This place meant everything to him. But Billy Bean told him, go to San Diego. He had a fat contract offer. San Diego wants to win. This is probably Melvin's last go around. Melvin doesn't want to be 70-something years old in uniform. It's not who he wants to be. His wife wants to travel. He's got things that he wants to do. This is, and I don't know if Melvin told me this in private or he said it in the interview, but I can tell you now that this is his last deal. Or he view, where he is right now in his life, Melvin told me he thinks this is his last contract. Now, could he manage on? Sure, but his mindset today is that, this will be it. That's four years, long time. So Billy Bean essentially told Bob Melvin, and Billy Bean knew back when he told Bob Melvin, he told him take the Padres deal. Why? Because he knew this was going to happen. We just had to wait for the lockout. So this tells you exactly why Melvin left. Melvin knew these guys were going to go. You think Melvin wanted to sit here in essentially a retooling? No, but Mark Kotze's perfect for that because he's learned under Melvin. He knows everybody. Everybody's comfortable with him. It's an age of transition, a new guy, but a guy who's one of your guys. Like if you brought in somebody from outside the organization to skipper you through this, disaster. The communica- communication will be a big key going forward in getting the A's back to where they want to be. And you have that communication between front office, Katze, Katze staff, staff, minor league staff, minor league players, all the AAA guys, all the guys other than the guys who have been traded here, all know Mark Katze, right? Correct, they have. He's been in organization for years, so of course they all know. So it's not like if you're coming up from AAA and you got to go see the skipper, it's going to be, how you doing, nice to meet you. Katze knows who you are. He knows who you are. He knows how you tick. He knows how he wants to implement you. I mean, that's why you brought. That's why Mark is vital here as the leader to get you through, which is not going to be easy time. It's going to be a rocky road, right? We get it. It's just you don't want that rocky road to be for a long time. Yeah, you don't want it to be like uh, how can I? I'll put it nicely because he's not on yet. But our next guest, uh, he's been dealing dealing with this for a couple of years now. Oh. You know, uh, Ben McDonald of, of Orioles TV, former number one overall pick by the Orioles out of uh, LSU. Out of LSU, he was one of the original 
and I don't know if I got into it with him last time, but Ben was one of the original college baseball stars. Like when ESPN, well, I had this joke because I play golf with this guy who is a uh, English guy. So he's been here for, I don't know, 15 years or whatever. But I always, you know, we start talking about, I'm like, I'm like, hey, before you got here, ESPN didn't have anything. ESPN, there was no NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball on ESPN. So what ESPN air? Australian rule. And you probably don't even know. You weren't even born. 90, 19, I was, uh, well, I was, I was probably two years old, one and a half. All right, most people <laughs> in the country didn't have cable. No, you weren't. What year were you born? 88. Yeah, you weren't even born. At least at 90. Oh, no, no sorry. I was thinking of the year he was, uh, the year that he was drafted. No, ESPN, what, what year was ESPN? 80, 81, something like that. Most people didn't have it because most people didn't have cable. Yeah, my dad was graduating high school in 1980. And so I was a little kid, and you're like, oh, this new channel. And luckily, I don't have no idea why, but for some reason, so I grew up right next to San Diego State. And I don't know because obviously there had to be wires or whatever the hell it was that brought you cable. Because we didn't have satellites. It was cable. Why my neighborhood had cable? There's certain neighbor- certain neighborhoods had cable. Certain neighborhoods didn't. I don't know why. I don't know. It's because they're close to the college. And I, I'm, I'm spitballing there. But we had cable pretty early when I was a kid, right? I was watching WGN and Harry Carey when I was a real little kid. Hey, hi, I'm a bud man and a cup. And I remember being a little kid going, who is this madman? I mean, he was crazy. Because <laughs> by the time, by late in the game, back then, Harry was drunk by late in the game. <laughs> um, and they had Australian rules football. They had Canadian football. That's what they ran. And slowly but surely, here came, and with Wayne Gretzky being the star, their first big stuff they got was NHL. Yeah, yeah the Oilers. And then the um, the Islanders were winning, was it four straight titles then? That team was pretty good. Those guys were really good. Don't mean to bore you, just giving you a little ESPN history, but the hockey kind of got them on the map, and then here came, you know, they started getting other this college basketball. But college baseball, the College World Series, was one of the things that they had, one of the, I guess you'd call franchises that they had. And Ben McDonald was a big deal. He was one of the first, like Will Clark, Ben McDonald. These guys were the first kind of ESPN stars. He was a big deal. Orioles last year. Oh, boy. Oh, 52 and 110. And the main question there is, do you know what the main question is there? Will they win more this year? How they won 52. <laughs> I mean, you go through an incomplete roster. I mean, I don't even know where to go with these guys. Well, they got our guy Trey Mancini. Cedric Mullins. Mullins was good. He was a 30-30 guy last year. I mean, Trey Mancini. I mean, Mountcastle. Oh, they got Odor. I mean, it. I mean, it's not. And it's going to be, you know, with a shortened deal. And Ben is on the line with us. Great to have him again. Ben, how are you? Good. How are you? Great to have you on the program again. Before you came on, we were just talking about reminiscing the the old ESPN days when really college baseball was one of their first franchises that they had showing the College World Series. And I'm trying to explain to our audience that, I mean, obviously you, you, your career in the big leagues, but like you were like one of the first ESPN slash college baseball stars 
What was that like back in the day? Well, you know, the college game has changed so much. You know, back when I was playing in the late 80s at LSU, you know, you were lucky to maybe have one or two games during the regular season on TV. But it was started, you could see the growth. It had began. Of course, when you got to the College World Series, everybody was tuning in because there wasn't much college baseball to go around. You get yeah. to Omaha and obviously projected to be the first pick in the country that year. There was a lot of excitement and all that kind of stuff. You know, so it was really cool back then, but it's really cool today to see the growth. And I would tell your listeners, I mean, the college game is where it's at. And, and, and you know this. I mean, you saw the numbers like I did last year. I mean, over 50% of the Major League Baseball rosters last year, opening day, over 50% came from college programs. That's how important the college programs are now. We're starting to see the big-time talent. You know, back in years past, you wouldn't see a Dylan Cruz or a Jacob Berry, who's at LSU right now, could be the first pick in the country. Those kind of kids would always sign pro contracts. But now we're starting to see more of our superstars out of high school, if you will, starting to kind of test the waters in the college game a little bit now. So it's exciting. The college game's a great game. It continues to grow in leaps and bounds, and it's supporting the big leagues in a huge way right now. Yeah, we, we've gone over it with multiple people about how when you start looking at technology and all the different things that college baseball was doing before big league and minor league baseball, they were at the forefront of technology, about health. You have a lot of these big-time universities that are connected with their, their school's hospitals that are working on how to prevent Tommy John, how to prevent shoulder injuries. It, it really is amazing how college baseball was so far ahead of even major league baseball when you started about using things like like TrackMan and Rapsodo and all these different high-tech cameras. Normally, it filters down from the big leagues or the NFL or the NBA. But in this circumstance, when it comes to baseball, it filtered up. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Because I can remember you know, talking analytics in the college game like five or six, even seven years ago. And I'm going, what, what are these guys talking about? But they were kind of ahead of the curve. Some, or some teams were a little bit ahead of others. When it came to that, and you're right. The TrackMan has been a long, been around a long time, and other things have as well, you know. And so, it's interesting to see how the game continues to evolve. And the college game, to me, is just a, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful game, and it's a game that you know, with Major League Baseball, we're during the lockout. I think more MLB fans had a chance to tune in just for a little bit to kind of see what it's all about, which is really cool, you know. And so, I'm proud of the college game. I'm proud of where it's going. And look, it's it's a neat deal now with the NIL and. You see more of these kids starting to come to college in some ways. Because if you look at it, I mean, look, and I talk about the SEC because I deal in the SEC a lot. I mean, LSU, every night there's 11,000 fans. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. I mean, it's 11,000 fans on the weekends in there to watch college games. And you can't get that in rookie ball, obviously, anywhere. Or really anywhere in the minor leagues, you can't get that. So a lot of these big-time players are wanting that college experience in some ways to be able to Maybe instead of starting off at rookie ball after you get drafted after your third year, maybe you jump to high A and you begin your, begin your professional career at high A ball. Well, man, you start talking about pressure. I mean, you can win the national title in football like Eddie O and uh, be gone in a couple of years. So uh, Ogeron, yeah. was, he was on top of the world. It's Goo Tigers and Joe Burrow. And a couple of years later, he's getting his walking papers. Yeah, go Tigers. That's right. Well, you know, look, and, and look, when they're paying the salaries that they're paying now, as you know, in college football, and you got the expectations like you do at some schools in the SEC in football, which, you know, has proven itself to be the number one football conference, obviously, in the country for a long time. And baseball is there now in the SEC. And even these college coaches in baseball now 
or making a million and a half, two million dollars a year to coach college baseball, and the expectations are high. And if you don't win, you know you're going to get let go. That's the bottom line. All right. Before we start getting into the Orioles, I want you to put your free agent hat on. If you are a free agent right now, and boy, the clock is ticking. And every day, man, you're that much closer to April 7th and April 8th. What would it be like for you as a free agent looking for a team right now? Well, I think it's, it's your specific need, you know, and what do you bring and what's your value? And I think it depends on a lot of these guys that are free agents right now have made a little bit of money in their career. And I know as you get older as a professional player, you know, when you first break in the league, it's all about surviving, right? You want to provide for your family. You want to stick around and make a little bit of money if you can and do this for as long as you can. But then the goals change. And when you become a free agent, typically most of these guys have at least six years of the big league. So they've made a little bit of money. So now you start looking at, okay, where can I go to possibly put a ring on my finger one day? What's going to be the best case for me to be able to go get into the playoffs now? Now, I know we got the expanded format. We're going to have 12 teams. That's obviously going to bring some extra teams into the playoff fold. But I think you start looking at, okay, where can I go to get into the playoffs that has a real shot of putting a ring on my thing? And I think that's what a lot of players are starting to decide right now is who gives me the best shot to win a World Series. You know, when I look at the Baltimore Orioles and I think about some of the greats that you played with and I think about, you know, what they always called the Oriole way and how strong the Orioles were when I was a kid, knowing that their history, Earl Weaver and that gang and World Series titles and there was legendary battles, 60s and 70s that the A's and the Orioles had been before we were born and now I look at the Orioles and okay you know Trey Mancini's been on this program good guy I can look at Mullins I can look at Odor I can look at some of the name John Means but you know for the most part I mean what's it like very proud organization it's a great baseball city but it's just been years since they were good yeah, no doubt. And look, it is very, you know, calling the games that I call in Baltimore the last five or six years, it has been difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, you go back and look, Orioles lost 110 games last year. They lost 108 in 19. And they lost 115 games in 18. And so it's difficult to watch sometimes. But I think at some point, you got to be able to just kind of trust the process. And Mike Elias, the new GM, came in four years ago and he said, look, I've got to build it from the ground floor up. That's the only way we're going to be able to compete in the AL East. And so you're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. While it's frustrating to watch, and look, Baltimore, as you know, has some of the greatest baseball fans in the entire country. There's no doubt about that. And so when you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you start talking about Adley Rutschman, who we're going to see this year, the number one prospect in all of baseball. You start talking about Grayson Rodriguez. And the strength of the Orioles, of course, is in their minor leagues right now. And that they have a Depending on what publication you look at, they're ranked one, two, or three in the minor leagues. So Mike Elias has been able to do that. He's been able to build a solid footing in the minor leagues with some really, really solid prospects coming up. And I mentioned D.L. Hall and Sowers and Heston Kerstad, the number two pick by the Orioles a couple years ago, has been down with myocarditis, but he's expected to, you know, be a big part, have his first full year in the minor leagues this year. So you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm not telling you anything when I tell you this. The AL East on a rebuild is different than any other division that's out there because when you're dealing every day with the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, it's very difficult. And so you can't be kind of good to compete in the AL East. You've got to be really good to compete in the AL East. The question for the Orioles right now is probably not going to win a bunch of games this year either, although we're going to see some of these top talents begin to emerge at the big league level. 
The question is, will the Orioles probably next offseason really get in that free agent market and try to get on top and to be able to compete day in and day out with the big boys in the AL East? And the division, what's so interesting about it, it's really kind of uh, kind of all over the board because the Red Sox under Heim Bloom don't want to be like big spenders like they used to be. The Red so- the Yankees have wanted to be under the luxury tax. Toronto has made a bunch of moves and they want to spend money. And then the Rays are going to try and be efficient with every single dollar they can possibly be. I it really is a division of. teams doing it a lot of different ways, but still getting it done. And would you say maybe the team to beat right now is the Toronto Blue Jays in the division? Well, yeah, you could make a certainly – I mean, that young offense they have, Guerrero and and Bouchette and others that that, that did so well. And, of course, you know, they lose Simeon, and that was a big loss, obviously. But still, the core of those young players – are there in that offense, you know, and you had Kevin Gosman on the pitching side after you lose Robbie Ray. And so they added some pieces. But, yeah, you talk about a young core, a young nucleus that's going to be there for a while. I think you got to lean on the Blue Jays and where they're at. And, of course, they just missed the playoffs last year. But that offense last year, I'm telling you, it was a just a gauntlet to go through to see those guys come to the plate. But you can make the same case. I mean, the Yankees were off offensively last year. They should have been better than what they were offensively. You know, last year, I expect they're going to rebound this year. You know, Boston has a young nucleus of some players, too. So it's a very offensive league in the AL East. But, you know, I think your point to the Tampa Bay Rays, I think that's the organization out there that every other big league team is trying to figure out how do they keep doing it with a low payroll and how they keep producing. And yet it seems like they're in the hunt every year. They do a wonderful job with the Rays, you know. And so it's interesting to me to see how they do it with a low budget, kind of a low market kind of team, small market, if you will, but yet they seem to be in the mix. But they're drafting, their evaluation of players, and then when you get them in your organization to be able to develop them. And right now, they're just whooping everybody when it comes to those couple of categories. You know, it's funny, you know, some of the rule changes, especially how many times you can bring a guy up and send him back down only five times now. People go, oh, it's going to hurt the Rays. But what's so fascinating, Ben, is like no matter what the rules are, the Rays find a way. Yeah, and you talk about adapting, right? I mean, they were one of the first teams some years ago that dug deep into the analytics, and they kind of figured it out on the pitching side. Remember, they were one of the first ones that kind of started the opener. And then if you go back five or six years ago, I think they were one of the first teams that really got crazy with the shifts, you know, and the yeah. defensive shifts. And the, almost they were kind of in the forefront of all that stuff. So they kind of had it figured out in some ways quicker than most MLB teams. So I, I think you're right. I think they do a great job of staying ahead of the curve, if you will. And I don't think these new rule changes are going to affect them that much. They just kind of have it figured out right now. How do you like the new rule changes? Anyone that stands out to you, you like or don't like? No, I mean, I know some of the ones are going to be implemented potentially next year. I'm not a fan of the automated strike zone, the, the computer back there. You know, I just don't – I don't know how that's going to – I like to see an umpire back there punching people out, you know, on strike <laughs> three. I, that's just me. You know, I don't want to see – I don't know what a robot's going to do back there. Is a green light going to flash up when you strike out? Like, I don't know how this is going to work. But they're going to try it at, at the minor league levels. The bigger bases – you know, I'm not a bigger fan. I do like a bigger base at first base because anytime we can – you know, get away from collisions over at first base to keep our stars on the field. I like that, but I don't know about making the bases bigger at second and third. I mean, 
I don't want to change the game. I always go back to football. Football field's been 100 yards forever. The, the, the NBA basketball goal's been 10 foot high forever. They're not changing that. So why do we need bigger bases to create more offense? You know, I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with all that. I do like some of the, I think the pitch clock's pretty cool. I think if we can – now, look, if we shave five minutes off of a game, who cares? Like, I don't care. I'm already there anyway. Like, I don't care if you shave five minutes off. But, now, if you're really talking about shaving 20 minutes off of a game, okay, I'm in favor of that, you know. And I do kind of like the idea potentially next year of getting away with the shift. If the idea is to create more offense, there's no doubt in my mind, we'll create more action and more offense by getting away from the shift. Because it's tough for these big left-handed pull hitters, you know. And I know the people would say, well, they got to learn to hit. Well, yeah, they, they do need to do a drop a bunt down every now and then be able to use the opposite field. I get all that. But while we're waiting for that to happen, I kind of like the idea of all the infielders being on the dirt like it used to be. And that's going to create a little more action to our game. Because that's what we're trying to do is create a little more action than, than obviously the, the three true outcomes of the game, which we see a lot in the last couple of years. I always like to ask, ex-pitchers this if you were on the mound and you got a shift behind you are you gonna pitch to what's best for the shift or are you just gonna pitch what's best for you to get the guy out well that's a great question i mean you know going back years when i was playing you know cal Ripken would be in a really different spot at shortstop so i'd throw a ball and it'd go by me i go my god that's the base hit on the ground and there he is standing right in the perfect <laughs> spot throwing the guy out by a half step but i'd always ask you how the hell were you over there? Why would you be there? He said, you just keep hitting your spot, and I'm going to be in the right spot. I went, oh, okay. So you're, you're yeah, you're really – and you know the story about he called pitches for me, and that's yeah. for a different time. But he called every pitch I ever threw uh, back in 92 one year, which is a really cool story in itself. But that's when we used to pitch to where the defenses were and try to make a guy do that. It doesn't feel like that's what's going on now. And, and in my time – a guy through 95, guys would not get on the pool side. and Maybe they'd be the opposite side a little bit more. It just feels like now when I watch a game and I do a game, it just feels like it doesn't matter who's pitching, lefty or righty, throwing 100 or throwing 90, the shift is the same for the same guy every time. So I don't know if there's any reason in rhyme other than that's what the charts show us where he's going to hit the ball. But I feel like the pitchers aren't really paying attention today. They're just kind of doing their thing and trying to get guys out in the defenses where they're supposed to be on a bunch of data that we have, and they're getting guys out. And it seems to be working. Well, you know, the thing about Cal, you know, people talk about, well, he's tall and maybe he wasn't the fastest guy. But as you said, it, Cal Ripken was always in the right spot. And to do that for that many years, it's crazy what, like, an encyclopedia of a brain that guy had. Yeah, I mean, always, you know, Cal was a big guy, as you mentioned. He played the game of shortstop before there were big shortstops. Nearly six foot five. He played it at 230 pounds here in the year. And just a, a monster on the field. Like, he was obviously wired differently, the things that he accomplished, you know. And But he also knew the tendencies of every hitter and what they like to do with a runner in scoring position, how they actually approach the pitcher with nobody on base. If it was a blowout game versus a tight game, what their approach was. And he was so smart. And that's why he came to me and Chris Hoyles early in our career and said, you guys don't have a clue of what you're doing. I was like, no, Mr. Rifkin, I don't have a clue of what I'm doing. My college coach called every game, every pitch I ever threw in college. I didn't learn how to set up guys. I didn't know any of that stuff because I was in the big leagues at 21 and didn't have a clue. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start calling every one of your pitches you throw. And it stays between us three. It stays between me, you, and Chris Hoyles. If it ever gets to the pitching coach or the manager, 
I am done. And you know what? That was my learning curve at the big, big level. And after every game, me and him and Chris Hoyles would sit down over a six-pack of beer, and we would talk about why we picked this guy this way in this situation and why we picked him a little bit differently in a different situation, you know? And so that's how I learned to pitch at the big league level. And then, of course, Rick Sutcliffe came along the following year and really helped my maturing process. But Cal, Cal was such a student of the game. He doesn't get enough credit for how smart he was as a ball player because he was the smartest guy I ever played with. Well, we know Cal had a basketball court at his house. I'm sure you guys played against each other. There's no way Cal could hang with you, right? Well, no, I mean, I was a little bit better basketball player than him, but I tell you what, me and him got – Cal was as competitive as anybody was on the basketball court, and that's how we got our conditioning in. We'd go into Baltimore, and I would pitch bullpens for a couple of weeks, but our conditioning was not going out and running, was up and down the basketball court. So we got into some pretty heated battles, and I'm going to tell you, Junior was a hell of an athlete. You know, as you know, you know, could have played a – uh, could have been a pitcher at the MLB level. You know, I mean, I thought he was that good. Some teams wanted him to be a pitcher when he was drafted out of high school. And he was a heck of a basketball player, too. So it was fun to kind of bump elbows with him a little bit and run up down the basketball court. A lot of fun. Hey, it's always great to have you on the program. It's good to hear your voice. Be well, and let's talk soon once the season gets rolling. I look forward to it. Appreciate you having me on. Take care. Take care. Ben McDonald, who was... Good big big league pitcher, college star at LSU. Was a good basketball player, too. What was he, 6'10"? I think I have his page open still. Um, I think he was 6'10". He's a According big to dude. baseball reference, he six, was 6'7". Six, 6'7", seven. Six, seven, all right. Gave him still, a it's still pretty big. Still got two inches on Cal's, what, 6'5"? I mean, Cedric Mullins was a 30-30 guy. Trey Mancini was an incredible story coming back from cancer. I mean that, but there's not a whole lot to talk about with the Orioles. I mean, they're they won 52 games. Uh, their manager's from Santa Rosa. If you want to look at a local tie, thanks. <laughs> uh, they have the one of the top prospects in baseball. If not, I think is, is Rushman the number one. I think he's third, or fourth. Another catcher. He's so out he's of or- Oregon State. Oregon State, yeah. yeah. And then Ryan Mountcastle was really good last year for them as a rookie. So I mean, they got. A couple pieces, their pitching staff with John Means. Eh, I mean, Means is fine. He had a no-hitter last year, if you don't remember that. One of, like, I forgot how many no-hitters. Like, I forgot that he had one and Rodon had one. Like, there's a lot of no-hitters last year. Wade Miley had one, who's no longer on the Reds. Well, we were on pace for a record. Yeah, then they had all stopped. Did they tie the record, I think? Uh, let me cheat. With eight? Seven or eight? And the only reason why I'd remember that, because it was one of my hits during the game. I think they tied the record for most no-nos in a season. Yeah, here it is right here. 2021 breaks MLB record for most no-hitters in a season. Breaks it. Uh, there were nine total no-hitters in a season. That's including the com- uh, combined no-hitters, though. All right, you ready? And we'll end this with the Orioles. The key number is, and I have it in my hand here, as you heard me hit my <laughs> microphone. Or should I ruffle the? Can you hear that? People probably you're, people are probably snoozing because you said newspaper and you have it. In your it's hand. not a newspaper; it's a magazine. But you have a paper in your hand. I have paper <laughs> in my hand. It's getting, and I love the smell of it on my fingertips. Is that weird? I always love the smell of ink on my hand. All right, the key number is one hundred for the Orioles. Do you know what that is? That's a uh, number of losses they've had the last four years. Orioles have lost 100-plus games in each of the last three full seasons, including 110 in 2021, the second most in franchise history since 
moving to Baltimore in 1954. Wow, that tells you how bad the Baltimore Orioles have been. And if you look at the starting rotation now for the Blue Jays, all their young guys are now not young guys. Our guy J.D., Kiner Falefa, have now gone to New York. Rays of the Rays. You know, Red Sox are still going to be good. I, I, I'm still wondering, how, how long are they going to get away? Red Sox are, the way they're operating is, if they, they've gotten so used to winning with all their professional sports teams, that Red Sox being like third place, that's not going to cut it. And problem for the Red Sox is that you're charging the most. I, I'm i not sure how this season is. I haven't checked on the average season ticket price or the average ticket price. But traditionally in the last X amount of years, the highest price ticket in all of Major League Baseball is the Boston Red Sox. Not surprised. And if you're charging the most, and, and a lot of that has to do with because it's Fenway, it's the history, it's the smaller ballpark, you know, and they can do what they want because they've been winning championships too. But it's hard to finish third or fourth place when and out of the playoffs when you have six teams in the playoffs from your league. Kind of tough when you're charging the highest prices. And this year's going to be no different. I mean, they might finish fourth. You finish fourth, like Heim Bloom, it's going to be Boston – Boston fan, the Boston fan base, harsh, is not going to want to hear that. Well, we're 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 now, we're now make we're we're now making. Let's put it this way: we've got a little money ball in us, and it's price per win. We're way better on price per win now. You think Boston fans want to hear that? Not at all. Do you think they care? Like, well, you're saving how much money? You're winning, but only spending this. That's not going to fly in Boston. And so Heim Bloom, which we called them the Boston Rays or the Tampa Red Sox, however you want to put it, not going all in and charging the highest prices, ooh, you're going to get a lot of criticism. And when you get criticism in Boston, that means when your kids go to school, they're getting criticized. That means when your wife's at the grocery store, she's getting criticized. That means when you're going to get coffee at Dunkin' Donuts in Boston – they're ripping you. I mean, it's a whole different animal than, as Billy Bean has said on this program, he goes to get coffee in Danville. No one even knows who he is. You go to get coffee in Boston, you got people in line going, what's your deal? Seriously, your kids, like Brian Cashman, when his kids were younger, I mean, your kids get ripped at school. It's a hardcore mentality when you're not winning and you're not doing it the way the fan base wants it. It's no joke. You, you you take work home with you. And you wonder, and, and the fans are probably yelling at him already, when are you going to sign Freeman? Or just yelling about what free agents they're going to bring in? Or, you know, who are you going to trade for? Like, it, it's it's brutal being in Boston. And, you know, same with New York. I mean, the two biggest, you know, two of the biggest media markets we have in our sport, well, along with L.A. and Chicago. Like, it, I don't know if Chicago's like Boston, but. Chicago's rough. Uh, as rough as Boston, though? Chicago's right, yeah. Well, uh, Chicago's a rough town. I haven't been. I haven't been to Boston either, but. 
yeah, there's a there's been a lot of rough things going on in Chicago. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Chicago, Chicago. Not a joke about it. I mean, but it's been some rough times in Chicago. But yeah, so they from a sports from a sport. Yeah, they're Chicago's tough. You never been to Chicago? That's right. We've talked about. It. You never yeah. been to Boston? Never been to Boston. You need to get out, son. Yeah, I know. But stop stop going down to Cal Poly for God's sake. Hey, I did see Cal Poly. Uh, when they Brooks Lee, who could be a top ten pick, actually top five pick in a draft, at Cal Poly first the batty, I saw him home run. He went four for four in the game. But Ken Rosenthal just shared this about the Reds. This is the Reds off season so far. They let Wade Miley go on waivers. They saved ten million dollars. They traded our well, your friend. I don't know Sonny, but they traded Sonny Gray to the Twins for two prospects to save ten million dollars. And then they traded Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez to the Mariners for four young players to save about $40 million. They also traded Tucker Barnhart that people forget about, and Nicholas Castellanos opted out of his contract. So they saved a lot of money this offseason by making the moves they did. So people want to compare what happened in Oakland. It's happening in Oakland compared to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's clearly shedding payroll like no other. Olsen's not making any, anywhere near what Eugenio Suarez was making, and neither is Chris Bassett. So the Reds are completely tearing it down, it seems like. And uh, the, when you ask me what's the one thing I'm worried about in the CBA, the tanking was still something I'm worried about, and I still am, especially now you're seeing what, what the Reds are doing. And that gets me back to, once again, how many of these teams were just laughing when they were fighting over the Colette, what, what was it, the CBT, CBT the yeah. luxury tax, yeah. the competitive balance tax? Yeah. What, how many teams are really worried about competitive balance and $230 million payrolls? Well, the Red, clearly the Reds weren't. They went for it a couple of years ago, and they came close. They would, if the playoffs started last year with the six teams, the Reds would have been the last one in in the National League. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, what was their payroll? Uh, great question. What in 230? Yeah, well, they're to say 40-plus million. That's not including Castellanos and Barnhart not being there. So... They clearly, uh, well, they're still not going to be the worst team in the NL Central. That belongs to my beloved Pittsburgh Pirates. There are plenty. Well, we just talked about the Orioles coming up next. We're heading to South Florida to talk to Craig Mish. You, you, you know how many teams were, are laughing at that? We're sitting here debating over $230 million for a luxury tax. Meanwhile, Derek Jeter stepped down because they wouldn't spend money. Now the owner the owner's saying, well, no, we're, we want to spend money. Yeah. Okay, which one is it? Well, we'll find out next as we head to why did Jared Jeter truly leave? We'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah, South Florida. Remember the first time I went to a Marlins game? Literally, there was like a hundred people in the stands. Was but that? yet, but yet the uh, God, I forgot the name of it. the Englander. What the hell is it called? The Clevelander. The Clevelander jam packed, jam packed. Was the uh, was that monstrosity of their statue still at the ballpark? Yes, I actually still got to see that. Okay, so that was, that had to be at least several years ago. Sixty-seven and ninety-five. Man, that was a, a rough year. And we got Craig on the line. Craig, how are you in South Florida? I'm doing well. How are you? We, we uh, you know, we're, we're back in business, I think, for all of us in baseball. We're, uh, we're just happy that this thing's going to get going. It's going to be a quick spring, but uh, we'll have our opening day. When the lockout ended, how did everybody feel down there? 
Yeah, I mean, especially today was the first day for the for the Marlins on the field. So, you know, certainly, uh, you know, it's always very exciting to have the first day of spring training, but I think definitely had more meaning today, given the fact that not only had the players not really seen each other all that much over the last 90 days, but, you know, for somebody like myself in the media, I mean, I haven't been in a clubhouse or really been close to these guys in almost two years. So it was really cool, you know, to be back there for sure. Oh, I bet. You know, that was the one thing that that we thought of that luckily our group, it's now changing in Oakland, but our group had been pretty much the same group for years. So whether we were on Zoom calls, it everybody knew each other. It wasn't that big of a deal. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if you had a young team and you really didn't know guys and now all of a sudden they're on a computer, you're on a computer, like it just had to be a whole lot of disconnect and not easy to to, to do your job. Yeah, there definitely was a point last year where we were able to get a little bit closer toward the very end of the year where they were allowing us to go on the field and, and um, you know, and see some of the players. I and mean, I think we're talking probably like August and September, but there were genuinely players on Miami's roster that I never met, you know, that I never was in front of either late 2020 or 2021. So yeah, that's a dynamic that you really can't, you really can't quantify and for the media to do their job, do they really have to have that relationship with players? No, but for somebody like me who, who tries to break news and tries to, you know, get information on trades and signings. I mean, it's crucial to develop those relationships, both with the players and the organization. So uh, today felt as normal as it is, as it has since basically two years ago, almost to the day where everything shut down kind of close to go a week or so. You know, Derek Jeter is always going to be a big name in our game. He's one of the great players of all time. He's an absolute icon. Uh, from, from a fan base, I'm not sure. You know, some people just care about the players. Hey, tell me, is the team going to be good? Are they going to be competitive? An executive slash owner really doesn't matter to me. When, when, when Derek Jeter stepped away from the Marlins, huge deal with the fan base, or they only care what happens in between the lines? Well, you know, I, I think that that a lot of them are wondering what direction the team is going to go because Derek inevitably was the one who made final decisions on everything until the checks had to be signed by the ownership. So there's no question that, and as far as I understand, I mean, it definitely left the players confused and definitely left the executives confused because remember a lot of the executives were hired by Derek Jeter either four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, or more recently. So Everybody was sort of shocked uh, at, the, at, at the timing of it. But I, I do think in the end, after weeks go by, months go by, I think that all of the players and executives alike have to sort of wake up and understand that baseball, as you know, is a very fleeting gig and you can lose it pretty quickly if you don't win. So if these people want to keep their jobs and if they want to get future jobs, they have to execute the game plan that, that Jeter had going forward. And I, I think a lot of what he did is going to stay intact. I, I don't really see a deviation from the plan. The only question is, does Miami replace him at some point with someone else? And I, I think they have plans to, they just haven't done it yet. You know, it, it, it's kind of crazy because two years ago in the postseason, uh, the shortened COVID year, and then obviously last year just winning 67 games. But there is talent down there. So w when you look at the young talent and always trying to acquire more talent, how far away are the Marlins? 
Well, they made some moves in the offseason, and, and those moves, I think, were sort of supplementary to the moves that were made in the, at the deadline. They moved Adam Duvall, and they moved Starling Marte. Uh, they sort of replaced one of them, you could probably say, with Avisail Garcia, and so he pretty much fits the bill as, as a Duvall type to a degree, I would say, hits home runs, plays good defense, and, and so they'll slot him in in right field. And then beyond that, they added Joey Wendell, who I think is going to fit probably either a regular role or a super utility role, but I do see him having a major impact on the team. And then they upgraded their catcher position by getting Jacob Stallings. So those names are not going to necessarily uh, you know, get people all that excited and get people coming to the ballpark, but they're very capable big league players. The question is, uh, is the team right now, as it stands, better this year on paper than it was opening day last year on paper? And I'm not really sure that it is. So the question is, is that if the Marlins had this game plan going into the offseason, have they executed everything that they're going to do to this point? I don't think so. I think they still have another move or two in them. And then at that point, we could start looking at them as a potential, let's say, uh, you know, fifth seed or sixth seed in the National League as they've added now six teams to the pie. So, um, you know, progress is still being made. But, you know, do I, do I see this team being better than the Mets or the Braves right now? Uh, probably not. Right on par with the Phillies, maybe a little bit better than Washington. But let's see what they do in the next week or two. How'd you feel about the deal today where Matt, we sent Matt Olson, all-star first baseman, to the Atlanta Braves, essentially allowing the Braves to cut ties with Freddie Freeman. And we, we heard that he could be, you know, looking at L.A., looking at New York, or could go back to Atlanta. But now bringing in Olsen kind of pretty much uh, ends the fate of a franchise player who just won, won a World Series. What did you think of that move? Yeah, I mean, the A's, you guys, <laughs> the team you cover, making all of the, uh, the headlines today for sure. Um, look, I mean, inevitably, I know it's crazy to say, there's there's a pretty good chance that Matt Olson comes close or is even better than Freddie Freeman in terms of just straight production at that first base position for the Braves. I mean, I really do genuinely feel that way. But again, the intangibles that somebody like Freddie Freeman has to a team, he's a franchise player, he's an icon there. You know what it is, is that sports is, is, is very fleeting. We tend to get caught up in these things. How can LeBron James ever leave Cleveland? You know, like how could Tom Brady ever leave New England? How could Freddie Freeman ever leave Atlanta? And then, you know, life goes on. How, how could Albert Pools ever leave St. Louis, right? And, um, so I don't get caught up in these things anymore. I think Atlanta's still going to be very good. And I, and I think that it's a shame that they couldn't get something worked out. But the, the general manager of the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, to me, is one of the very best in the business. He must have known that he had no chance to re-sign him. And so – went to a plan B option, which could be honestly as good as plan A. You know, when you look at last year where the Mets for a good period of time led the NL East and there then was that period where every single time you looked up, someone different was leading the division. Does that give the Marlins a lot of hope? Yeah, I, look, that's what happened last year. I mean, far be it for me to be able to predict this stuff because I thought the National League East may have been the best division in baseball last year, and it turned out to be arguably be the worst. But, my gosh, if the Mets are ever going to be good, is this the year? I feel like we've been saying that for five, <laughs> six, seven years. They are just so loaded. And then every year something happens. You know, their pitcher is partying, or their other pitcher has, like, hand, foot, and mouth disease. Like, the strangest things always have. Their second baseman gets popped for steroids. He's out a year. 
but I got to feel like Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and Pete Alonzo and Starling Marte. I mean, they're just so stacked. I, I got to believe that the Mets are not going to just win 75 games this year. And I think the Braves are very good, too. The Phillies, uh, they haven't been able to get out of their own way because of their bullpen. And you saw they've made some bullpen moves over the last couple of days. So we went into last year thinking the National League East would be formidable. It was not. I got to believe that it will be more formidable this year than last year. And I just don't simply think that a team like the Braves could end up winning you know, 85, 86 games and winning the World Series. I do think that there will be some stiff competition in that division. All right. My producer... Cody, who has contacted you multiple times, has been dying sure. to know about one pitcher on the squad. At once was an electric mm-hmm. arm. Go ahead, Cody. Uh, Craig, what's the latest on Sixto Sanchez? Is there any update on what's going on with him? Cody, you must have you know, on a fantasy team or some baseball cards. It's the only thing that I can get here. Um, <laughs> yeah, the news is not good with Sixto Sanchez. Um, he's just he's been hurt a lot. He's had conditioning issues. Uh, you know, there's some off-the-field stuff that they've been concerned with, too. Today, the Marlins announced that they are shutting him down indefinitely. He's still, you know, having issues from his past surgery last year. Uh, I, I mean, listen, there, there are a lot of positive things that I can say about the Marlins, but unfortunately, he is just not going to be one of them at this point. Could he be a contributor this year? I suppose. But I would not be drafting him in any fantasy baseball leagues. And, Cody, if you have any of his cards, you know, 30 cents on the dollar, say goodbye. Well, that's good to know because I've been trying to monitor what he's been doing because in 2020 he was so electric for the Marlins when they made the postseason and then seeing these, you know, all these reports of, you know, his arm problems and stuff. And as someone that grew up in the Pittsburgh area, I'm hoping that he's not included in some trade for Brian Reynolds if that ever happens. Uh-huh. Yeah, I gotcha. No, I, I think I think that um, Ben Charrington is, is too sharp to – to do something like that. I mean, look, we've seen stories in baseball like this where a player is just constantly hurt and he's got some issues and, and then they like reappear years later. Uh, that's going to have to be, I think the issue with Sixto Sanchez. Remember he did not pitch all of 2021. And right now I, I don't see any scenario where he's pitching in the first half of 2022. So maybe he reappears somewhere else, but it, it does look like unfortunately the Marlins made some really good trades that don't get talked about enough, but this one, where they traded JT Romito to Philadelphia for Sanchez and Alfaro uh, right now doesn't look very good. You know, our guy, Jesus Cesardo, you know, he's somebody that we, you know, around here after he got traded over from the Nats thought that this guy is just going to be hell on wheels and he's going to be dominant and he's going to be an ace for a long, long time. Didn't happen. Obviously we traded him down to South Florida and then, you know, from afar, looking at the numbers, they weren't great. How do the Marlins view Jesus Cesardo going into this season? You know, it's interesting. Today at, at, at uh, you know, at, at training camp, at spring training, I got some really positive reviews on him. I know that the numbers in, in, his, in his Marlins tenure last year were really dismal. And he, he is the kind of pitcher, too, by the way, that's going to put guys on in the past. And that's always going to be a problem in the big leagues, walking guys. But I guess he's been working hard in the offseason. And in, in some of these little mini camps that they've had where the Marlins players have faced the Marlins pitchers, some of the players have told me this is the best that he's looked. So we'll have to see. We've heard this before, no question. 
But every five days, Jesus Lizardo is going to start off in the rotation for the Marlins. I, I would guess that he's probably either their fourth or fifth starter. And then we'll just have to see what ends up happening with him this season. But no doubt, I mean, look, the Miami traded Starling Marte for this guy. They got to make sure that they at least give him their best shot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's an electric arm, and he's a hell of a kid. That's the thing. It's like, how do you not root for him? He's got, he's good looking. He's got a great personality. He could totally be a star. It's just the numbers haven't matched all that yet. But it's hard not to root for him because he's such good people. Yeah, he he is extremely nice. He's a South Florida kid, so there's a lot of people that are rooting for him. Uh, you know, but in the end, you know, you, you don't. I mean, the thing is, is that. Nice guys. I mean, these are great stories, but Miami is on, like, essentially, you know, that 2020 season, it is true. They did make the playoffs. They did beat the Cubs. But, you know, Miami doesn't really, the fans, they don't care about nice guys anymore, you know. They, they want to see a winning season, and whatever is required to get a winning season, they, they can bring in mean guys at this point. They don't care. <laughs> Craig, good stuff. We appreciate it. We'll be calling soon because, uh, before you know it, the season's going to be starting, and that's music to all of our ears. Yeah, no doubt. Hang in there, A's fans. It'll turn again. It always does with the A's. No doubt. Take care. All right. Thanks for having me. You know, thinking about, and he's right. That's a, that, This is the tough thing to sell to A's fans is, guys, you've been through this. You know how it works. In two, three years, we're back. We're in the playoffs. It's just you hate that 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 small period of time where you're like, why didn't we pay everybody? But – Here's two great examples. Sonny Gray. Everybody wanted to pay Sonny Gray. Look at Sonny Gray now. Sonny Gray is essentially a 500 pitcher with a high ERA, high ERA since he left the A's. Hazel Cesardo continues to get racked. And you thought he was the next. You thought he was Sandy Koufax. I mean, Cody and I last night were texting back and forth how many players left the A's? And let's go back many years now where they stayed healthy, had long-established careers. That you went, damn, missed out on that one. There's only a couple. Majority of the guys did not go on to stay healthy long-term and have great careers. And they were all players you wanted signed long-term. So it really is... You got to really pick and choose and hope to God you pick the right guys that's, that you sign long-term. Because I'm telling you right now, a guy you thought probably was a no-brainer to sign long-term, Fernando Tatis Jr., so far that contract is a train wreck. In, injured last year. Um, fractured wrist, going to be out up to three months. And while we were you know, working on the new studio at your house earlier, Jesse Rogers sent out a tweet to see if I have it screenshotted. He said, probably not a great thing. When Fernando Tatis was asked when his motorcycle accident happened, that's how he fractured his wrist, he said, and I quote, which one? So you give him all that money, and he already, let's see, last year, I think I have his page still open, last year Tatis in 2021 only played in 130 games. So he missed 32 games last year. With an injury in 2020, 60 game season, he played in 59. His rookie year, he played in 84 games. So you he's already been hurt multiple times last year, and now he's hurt going into this year. He's still super young, so you have hope there if you're a Padres fan. He's 23. He just turned 23 in January, so he's still super young. 
But it's this isn't a good thing. He can miss up to three months. You know, it, it was during the off season, so the team couldn't even probably couldn't even talk. Or they couldn't talk to him. The, so they probably were just finding all this out. You know, within the last couple of days, like we did. Yeah, they. You know, we we were listening to Sirius XM MLB channel, and they were talking about that. Like, well, you know, when he got injured, if he would have actually been able to talk to the medical staff, and what I'm like. Okay, if a franchise player gets hurt, you don't think he's talking to the team. Really? Really? You really think the team, their $300-plus million investment, the team's like, don't take his call. You really think that? I mean, I want to be pro-league guy as much as anybody, but come on. I was telling you, if my $300-plus million investment is injured – uh, I am not ignoring his phone calls. That's yeah, it, crazy. It is. That's crazy. And, and, you know, not to tie this back to – I brought this up to you last night. We were going over it for a little bit, and, you know, we were talking about how many of the guys that have been traded – I didn't go all the way back to Mark McGuire because I feel like that was that's not fair. Billy Bean wasn't the, G, the actual GM then. How many guys have been traded by, by the organization since, we'll say, 2000 – that have won on the win a World Series immediately or win a World Series with the team they're traded to? That'd be zero? The answer was, let's see, Swisher won one with the Yankees, but he was originally traded to yeah, the that, No, White he's Sox. out. Uh, oh, Hutt- Zito. Well, he was a free agent, though. So he was even traded. So it has to be a trade. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with trades because we're talking about the guys getting Can traded. Can you be specific here? How many guys have been traded by the organization that won, to the te- the, and won a World Series to the team they were traded to? Okay, Mulder technically won a World Series ring, even though he wasn't pitching. Where do you rate that? I say negative. That didn't Yeah, count. yeah. It's just like it's just like Zito. You know, if you want to talk about that one, Zito won one in 2012, but he didn't, he didn't pitch well in 2010, wasn't on the playoff roster, but he still got one. Uh, let's see. Tim Hudson got traded to the Braves. He didn't win one with the Braves. He won one with the Giants. Uh, Josh Reddick was traded to the Dodgers, but he won a World Series with Houston. So not a lot of guys that lead the organization. Josh Donaldson hasn't has won a World Series. Sean Doolittle left. Sean so the answer is there's nobody. Doolittle's the only one I think that we can think of because he got traded to the Nationals and he won. Yeah, that's uh, one, a reliever. So well, am I saying that Olson's not going to win a World Series with the Braves? No, but we we don't know. So like the, the idea of that losing these guys and that you know they're they're going on winning World Series. Giambi didn't win World Series and when he walked away as a free agent. He didn't oh. win. He wasn't even a Yankee when he won. No knowing what health wise would come down for him and the guaranteed money, that was a godsend that Giambi didn't take. What was the I mean I off the top of my head, I want to say the offer was in like ninety million the A's were offering at the time for Giambi. And he got like one one something one forty. Forty, forty five, whatever. But it was a godsend. The tumors and the issues. It was a godsend that Giambi didn't sign. It's just I was thinking about The we, one guy that I that 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 well, I guess Swisher, but the one guy really that had a really good career that you wish could have stayed. Probably been Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson won a lot of games. Yeah. What I have yesterday won 113 games for the Braves. Yeah, that's what you said. I'll, I'll, I want to see how many. And that includes a Tommy John year where he only had a few starts in a season. Yeah, he won 222 in his career. But like 113 for the Braves. He won 113 for Atlanta, 92 with the A's, and 17 with the Giants. He had a losing record with the or with the Giants, by the way. 
So this is a list of the people I brought up to you yesterday. Donaldson, no. Sonny Gray, no. no. Cespedes, no. Mulder. Cespedes' career, other than home run derby, what the hell did Cespedes do since he left the A's? Well, he won those with the A's, so. No, he was in the home run derby but with he the won, Mets. But he won back-to-back with the A's. But I'm saying with the Mets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did he do? Yeah, he didn't, and he's hurt. Remember, he, he broke or he tore both of his Achilles or whatever it was or fractured his ankles on his ranch when he fell in the holes or something. I mean, if you if you just recently, if, if, if Twitter and the fan base could run our franchise, right? Let's just say they had the power to run our franchise. Essentially, what would Cespedes – Cespedes had one year. Look at, look at the games played. So, Cespedes gets traded to Boston. And in that year, with the A's and Boston, he hits – scratch that. The year after he's gone, because remember, he started getting traded. So the year he was Detroit and New York, that's 35 home runs, 105 RBIs. That's 2015, right? He was traded in 14 from the A's to the Red Sox. At the time with the A's, and he was traded, remember, he wasn't so hot. Even though people thought it changed the complexity of the lineup and the whole thing. Cespedes had a 767 OPS. Would you say that's great? Seven, no, that's below league. He had 17 home runs, 67 RBIs, hitting 256. He had a 767. All right, so he has one big year left in 2015. After that, played in 57 games, 132 games, 81 and 38. Made a comeback, does not play in 19. Makes a comeback in 2020 of eight games. So, so after Cespedes leaves the A's, he doesn't play a whole heck of a lot. And we want so once again, if Twitter and the fan base ran our franchise, we would have gave Cespedes a big time long term deal. That would have been a disaster. Yeah. So he's one, and then obviously we mentioned Giambi. I, I mentioned Mulder saying no, he never won one because um, baseball reference says he he didn't. Um, and then I have Gio Gonzalez on here. Gio didn't win one with who he got traded to. He did win one with the Nationals. No, no, he didn't. He was on the Nationals, so no, he didn't win one. And then obviously, Marcus Simeon walked in free agency. He hasn't won a World Series yet. So I couldn't believe I totally forgot about Marcus Simeon during the lockout. And when it came up, seven years for one seventy-five, and that's all going to be mid to late thirties. Yeah, I mean, Let, happy for him, but oh, d- d- thrilled for him, his family, his wife, and his kids. And I mean, couldn't be. More happier for a guy. And then I go to the age regression model. (laughs) I'm going to be saying that all. I love that. Age regression model. It just doesn't fit. It's like, wow, you're going to pay a guy. Because what's Marcus going to be, 34? No, Marcus is younger than me. 33? Marcus this year will be 30. Let's just pull it up real quick. Marcus will be 32 in September. All right, so the first year of the deal, he's 32. 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. You're paying him till he's 38, 39. He'll be 38 his last. He'll turn 38, I think, the last year of his deal. Good luck. I hope it works for him. Um, well, actually, I, I root for him as a person, but since he's going to be going up against the A's a lot, not so much. Yeah. 
Uh, they did update. It looks like they updated the uh, A's. Or they Wait a minute. When did the, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I was on it. I had to refresh my computer. Hold on. Hold on. We're talking about the top, top prospects on the A system. Top 30. Where did you find it? I just Googled. Because they took it off our front page, by the way. Did you notice that? It used to be like a total, oh, I can go to uh, roster, top 30 prospect. How good's your Wi-Fi? Hey, yours hasn't updated. How's mine not updated? I don't know, but mine did. So, anyway, uh, they still have Tyler Soda show number one. Are you sure you're on MLBs? Yeah. So, I'll just tell you. Soderstrom's one. Shea Langoliers is number two. Pache is three. Max Muncy, the other Max Muncy, who shares the same birthday as the High other. High school Max shortstop. Muncy. He's four. Nick Allen, five. JT Ginn, who was one of the players in return for Chris Bassett, six. Ryan, wow, he drops from four to six in, in 24 hours. Yeah. Cusick, the, one of the, the right-hand pitcher that the A's got from the Braves is seven. Puck, eight. Jeffries, nine. And Pedro Pineda, number 10. I don't know why they have Zach Galloff ranked so low on MLB.com. Uh, our man Keith Law had him number two. There you go. It looks like yours is updated now. All right. I got it. Where is uh, Robert Poisson, who we gave $5.1 million 15th. to? Oh, he's now 15th. Yeah. Uh, and Joey Estes, the other player acquired in the Matt Olson trade, is 14th in our So Poisson, who was given once again $5.1 mi- Was it 5.1 exactly? Um, it was five five something, I thought. Poisson, as a 16-year-old, was given $5 million. He's now yeah. 19. 5.1. He's now 19. Yeah. Been in pro ball for years. I know he's only 19. Uh, he's still just 15th now. Remember, he was supposed to be super prospect. He was ranked way higher. Let's see. Because you could you could look on the website. So they updated the 2020. This, if you look at, um, let's see, where was he at in 2020? Oh, it says coming soon. So I can't even yeah, twenty twenty two coming soon. So Do they you want to know where Keith Law from the Athletic, former executive, yeah. one time ESPN. Oh, I, I know the answer already. Author. You he, want you want to hear? But you you could tell him. Tell the fans. And the listeners. That's great, you know. Well, that's what I said. You could let them know. Okay. It's great yeah. you know though. <laughs> so they know that you know. The A's gave shortstop Robert Poisson a five point one million dollar signing bonus in two thousand nineteen, but he's just not very good. Every scout who saw him this year told me they don't think he's more than an organizational player as he's not a shortstop, can't hit, doesn't show much semblance of an approach. He's 19, so I don't want to say he's done, but early return, early returns are as bad as they could be. Scouts think he can't play, and he got $5.1 million for a signing bonus at 16 years old. And then the guy that he signed that what the signed ahead of him, Jason Dominguez with the Yankees, is gonna be the future of their team. And <laughs> you wonder why baseball wants an international draft to get rid of these type signing bonuses. These type signing bonuses these type signing bonuses for young kids who they really don't know what they're gonna be like once they're not teenagers anymore. It's hard because he's still so young. Who knows? He can go out there and But no 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 no. But I, but I know here's what you're the problem. You're giving money to kids that are highly developed physically at a very early age. You have no clue if that's the peak. 
for them, this is as big and as strong and as good as they're going to get. You're essentially a high school. My kids are 16 years old right now. It's like giving my kids $5 million a year. Think about that. My kids are 16, the same age Poisson was when he got $5.1 million. And sometimes, as anybody that's played high school baseball, there are guys, by the time they're 16, they got a mustache, they're shaving, they've been working out, but they don't get much bigger, much stronger. You know, you may, if you're a big gym guy, whatever, you may get, but you kind of peak. Some guys kind of, this is as fast as you get. Some guys, and then there's guys that peak, peak as they get older into their early 20s. But, I mean, he's 19. You've been now doing the pro ball thing for a few years, and at 19, you know, great ones. Mike Trout didn't look like an organizational guy at 15. I mean, at uh, 19 years old. Now, it's hard to compare him, but you can go Al K-Line. There's a lot of guys, King Griffey. There's a lot of, like, terrific players that you thought were going to be great players by the time they were 19, 20. They look more than... They look more than just an organizational guy. It's true, and it's gonna be. I, I, and I still think he's so young that he can still have time to put put it all together. But last year wasn't good. I watched him a few times when Stockton played the San Jose Giants. It, it didn't look good. So during the lockout, weren't we told that Major League Baseball said you cannot talk to Sarah Langs? Like, like. You can't talk to players, and you can't talk to Sarah, right? Isn't that what we were told? Yeah, I mean, Sarah's up there. Is one of, she's pretty much a player, so it's hard to talk to her. They actually said to us we had a better chance to talk to Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, before we could talk to Sarah. That's how. So the lockout's over, and, and we're free to speak with you now. Is that correct? Hi. We've missed you. <laughs> I miss you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I was happy the lockout was over, but I think you were probably way more happier than anybody that I know because without baseball, I don't know what you would do. You know, I read some books. I sat around, watched some basketball, watched some hockey, watched some football, but so glad we have baseball back now. So glad. What is the number one thing? Lockout ends and you go, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so hard to pick one thing, but I'm just excited for this Juan Soto MVP campaign. I mean, it's been coming. It is going to happen. I really think it happens this year. And, you know, just seeing all that he can do. And how about seeing Shohei Otani again? I mean, I know that's your division. I know that's a sore point. But we are, so, I mean, just we, the baseball world, are so excited to get to see him again. Yeah, you missed, you, 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 you mentioned Juan Soto. And I, I just, to turn down the money he turned down at that age, wow. I mean, not many people who will ever walk the planet can really just basically say 300 and something. I, do you remember what the – do we know the actual fit 350, 3-something that he turned down? I think we just knew it was in that range. I don't know that we knew exactly. And 
You're right. I mean, there are very few people on the planet who will ever be on the planet who will even get a chance to turn something like that down. But, you know, the reaction was almost universal of, of course he did. Of course he can do better. I mean, Mike Trout has the biggest contract, as he should. But I think Soto is the obvious player in waiting there to break that record and, you know, just break that record overall for guaranteed money and all of these things that baseball contracts do. Why are you so bullish other than we know he's got great talent and that this kid, bar, you know, knock on wood, barring any injury or any uh, craziness, will probably be a baseball Hall of Famer. But why do you yeah. think this is the year I got to put my money on him to be MVP? You know, I, I know the Nationals are probably not going to be very good. And obviously that could work against him, but we just saw a year where the top three and MVP in both leagues were on teams that did not make the playoffs. So hopefully that opens the floodgates just a little bit. And Bryce Harper had a great year last year, but I thought there was a great argument for Soto even last year. If you look at projections entering this year, he is projected to be the best player in baseball no matter which projection system you're looking at on Fangraphs, we have Zips, we have Steamer, we have depth charts. They're all saying by wins above replacement, he's going to be the absolute best. Drive in 120 runs, 35 homers, which is a lot for him considering his plate discipline, considering how infrequently he swings. And, you know, a signing that happened last night that I actually think almost helped his chances is adding Nelson Cruz. I mean, that is some lineup uh, protection for him in a way that he really, you know, he had a little bit with Kyle Schwarber before he got traded last year, but not nearly on the same level. But if a pitcher is going to have to make the decision, do I face Soto or do I face Nelly Cruz? When he's on one of those Nelly Cruz tears, I think that Soto just got a decent number of more hittable pitches, which we know He's just absolutely going to destroy. Yeah, Nelson Cruz is like one of those guys that defies all this age talk. Like, I mean, I don't care how old he is. He just needs to give you four at-bats a game, and they're going to be four legit ABs. And he goes up to the dish with bad intentions. You know all the years that we've seen him with all the different teams he's played on in our division. He's a scary man, and I don't know why he chose the Nationals over everybody else because now that everybody's got a DH, you think that people would be coming out of the woodwork for him, especially in a one-year deal, but – Man, he I mean, he's got to make Soto that much better. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was also a little surprised to see him picking the national too. I don't think most people have really competing in the NL East this year. So we'll see, but I saw his quote today out of camp was the team convinced him they were trying to win and you know, regardless of where that is, they they did enough to get him and he's such a fun player. I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, you already have a great reason to go to the ballpark, no matter how the team is on the whole with Juan Soto. And I really think having Nelson Cruz there, I mean, those home runs are titanic. And they're going to look great in that cavernous ballpark in Nationals Park. And he's going to get to play in the only active ballpark he's never played in, which is City Field, because he's been in the AL almost his entire career. He was on the Brewers for a, a second in 2005 but city field wasn't open yet well when i look about when i look at the news that's gone down the last couple days it's like we've had a 
crazy offseason in just a 48-hour period. What were your thoughts? I thought uh, shrewd moves by both the Braves and the Athletics, and it's not going to be popular with any with either fan base. Uh, what did you think about the deal between the Bravos and the A's today? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was really interesting to see the Braves basically make their statement that Freeman won't be back. I mean, I feel like in a traditional offseason, the order is often reversed where the star player signs somewhere else and then the team, the incumbent team, makes their move. But it's March 14th, and the opening day is in, what, three weeks at this point, and you need to be able to get your roster set. As you said, I mean, it's a trade that, you know, I, I know is not making any fan base happy, but I hope, and you guys can certainly speak to this, that the Braves fans make their peace with it because, you know, the idea of Freddie Freeman not being in a Braves uniform on opening day, especially as the reigning World Series champions, is just hard to fathom. But Matt Olson is such a great player. And if you're going to not have Freddie Freeman, Having Matt Olson, I mean, there's an argument you're set up even better of a long haul if you're able to extend him at some point before he hits free agency. So such a great player, really worked on his plate discipline last year. I'm really excited to see him even more in the NL East. And, you know, it's a good, I think it's an interesting package of prospects and young players going back to the A's, I mean, uh, to the A's. Christian Pache is really interesting. I know he had the tweet. He was very upset. I always feel very badly for players who express things like that, but I think he will enjoy being on the team. And I think he's sort of the name that jumps out in that trade. But, you know, we've certainly seen some very interesting approaches on the trade market, obviously from the A's in recent days and from the Cincinnati Reds with Sonny Gray, former, uh, former friend for you guys. Uh, being traded over to the Twins, and then uh, more trades today with Osborne uh, and Winker. Yeah, you know, I, 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 it makes me kind of think of the Albert Pujols deal to where, you know, Albert won a World Series franchise player, ends up moving on. A little different, though, with Freddie Freeman because it was the Braves really taking on somebody else and cutting the cord with him. And I also view this from a business standpoint. In a way, you kind of hurt his leverage because Albert Pujols was always able to say to the Angels, hey, if you want me to leave this great scenario that I have here in St. Louis, you got to offer me more money and more years. Mm. Freddie Freeman could have used that with the Braves, but that now that's gone. If you're talking about negotiations for the Dodgers or the Yankees or whatever the mystery team could be, now that the Braves pick up Matt Olson, they cut ties, and that leverage isn't there anymore for Freddie Freeman. He'll still get paid, but I don't know how that affects his negotiations. It's definitely important to wonder about. I mean, it does feel like there's a musical chairs going on here. And I do think there are more than two teams remaining for the two remaining first basemen left, you know, in uh, Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo, because the Yankees absolutely should be involved in some way. I know Luke Floyd is there, but they would be much better to have one of these players. The Dodgers obviously involved and you know, there's been talk about the Blue Jays and, I don't know if that would involve moving Vladdy back to third or one of them DHing or something like that, but it does seem like there are at least three notable and you know willing to spend teams out there. 
there still could be an odd man out, but there's no question that being unable to say, well, the Braves would take me with this deal, you know, not having that option in the negotiating room is a whole different ballgame for Freddie. Now, obviously, Yankees make a move. There's going to be a lot of attention. And now the, this trade between the A's and the Braves kind of knocked it off the map. But Kiner Falefa and also our, our old really good friend, we love Josh Donaldson, J.D., both these guys come to New York. Both these guys uh, can be known to be a little prickly. They bring some spirit. There's no question. They bring toughness. They bring that kind of it factor. And a lot of talk about the Yankees taking on all the money for Josh Donaldson. But I love this move for New York. I'm a little biased because of my relationship with J.D., but I love this move for the Yankees. What do you think? I think it's fun for them to have a sort of outspoken player like that. You know, a guy who's going to be fiery. I mean, the Yankees have not had a player like that in a while. And they have such a reputation as a franchise for being so buttoned up. And, of course, that's great. And professionalism is very underrated, I think, at times in sports. But, you know, I think he's the type of player who's going to bring a lot of mirth and excitement to the team which is a really good thing. And he's still a pretty good player. You know, he isn't quite the MVP caliber he was a few years ago, but he'll help them for sure. And I like the kind of pull up a move. I mean, he appears to be the obvious, uh, you know, stopgap or a bridge between the current times and Anthony Volpe, who is their big shortstop prospect. So if anything, I think that the trade was almost a vote of confidence in that prospect saying, you may be our starting shortstop on opening day 2023 or by the all-star break that year. And it's great to see the organization have that kind of confidence in a young player. I mean, the reviews on him are rave and you can go read on any prospect website. Everyone is very all in on him. And of course we've seen uh, some other young, exciting uh, shortstops in the past for the Yankees. I'm thinking of Jeter, you know, but even Glaber Torres initially before things went a little bit south there. So I think it's a good move. I think it's the type of move where people sort of didn't know what to do initially because Gary Sanchez's time in New York was just, I mean, he hits these incredible home runs, but he didn't hit much else. His defense was so maligned. And it was just sort of this moment where I think his moment with the fan base had sort of passed. So it's maybe not all that and they moved on from him and Gio Urshela was a great Yankee and I think they got the utmost out of him I mean he probably played to his best defensive ability he'd ever shown at the major league level at third base and you know yesterday morning Aaron Boone was saying right now he's our shortstop and that wasn't going to be their best option he didn't say that second part I'm just pointing that out based on the metrics so they get a better shortstop in Isaiah Kiner Falafa, and they look toward the future, which is good to see. Is New York going to survive without the Sanchino? <laughs> you know, he is such a fun player to watch hit home runs. I know that he strikes out a lot. I understand <laughs> it all, but the excitement around him when he first came up, when he almost set the record for the fewest games played in a year when you won Rookie of the Year. Uh, current, that belongs to William McCovey, but I believe that if Gary had won it that year when he came up in July or whatever it was, that he would have set that record. 
the excitement was just so much fun. The Kraken, I mean, just all of the emojis on Twitter and everything. And it's always disappointing to see something like that end. But I hope that he's able to rediscover that power, you know, in Minnesota, maybe DH a bit more and not have to worry about catching it. Just focus on the power, which he is so good at. It's just there's some other things to work on. You know, the DH was always set up, you know, to have guys that could still hit, but they can't field anymore. They don't run as well. You know, really good players and a lot of future Hall of Famers. You know, you talk about Reggie Jackson, Dave Winfield, George Brett, Paul Molitor, these type guys. And to now think the DH is going to be with every single team. How do you think this position, since everybody's going to have it now, is going to evolve? It's interesting. I, I do think there will be some changes. I wonder if if we'll see some teams sort of approach it, not just as having one guy, but really use it as a way to sort of, um, in a modern way, manage playing time. You know, we see American League teams often give a guy a day, but not a full day by having him DH, you know, a third baseman, a first baseman, and what have you. So I wonder if there may be teams that almost take that approach over the course of the season. A way to sort of work with a platoon and kind of keep like a reverse platoon, a defense platoon, um, and kind of keep a guy in the mix every day, even if he's not going to play defense every day. But, you know, I also think the overall stats of DHs are probably going to change just based on the fact that there are 30 now. So it's not going to be Nelson Cruz for every team. There are going to be teams where the backup second baseman is DHing some days because that's the depth they have. So overall, it may become a little bit less of an offensively charged position. But, you know, I'm excited at the fact that it could, you know, help extend some careers. I mean, you mentioned Albert Pools before, and he hasn't signed anywhere yet. And there haven't been all that many rumors about him since the lockout ended. But I do think that he has a chance to extend his career now in a way that he didn't necessarily on October 31st, just because instead of there being 15 spots for him, there's 30. And if a guy like that is willing to take a small deal, which he might, I mean, he was with the Dodgers for the league minimum. You know, if he's willing to do something like that to just try to get to 700 home runs, there's going to be a team that says, yeah, we want that happening in our uniform. So you know, it kind of helps with the sentimental side, too. Maybe we'll get to see some of these power hitters for a little bit longer than we would have otherwise. How did you feel about the expanded postseason, and would you have rather seen it go to seven teams in each league? You know, I'm excited for it. I, I just like the idea of having a lot of fan bases really engaged down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I just think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement with those short series. We saw it in 2020, but of course that, excuse me, that year wasn't exactly mature design because it was a shortened season. And so we had some teams below 500 and there were some short series that went even shorter than we might've hoped. They think it'll be better this year with 162 and really getting to see who these teams are. I do think that the 14 was going to be a lot. I, I think 12 sort of hits that sweet spot. I mean, 
you know, I'm all for more teams. I'm all for more teams being relevant longer. But I think 12 is going to be a really good, you know, ends up being a good compromise. It's going to get us some really good October baseball and some really good September baseball down the stretch. You know, the shift has been a very controversial thing. And whether you like it, you don't like it, you want to look at the numbers, I I get it. But in the end, the old eye test just wasn't great for the game. If you, if you just look at the paying customer, the paying customer didn't like it. What do you think about coming up here where we just say shift no more? So my stance with this is always that, you know, the shift has been part of the game since Ted Williams and probably before that. The original shift was the Ted Williams shift. And I do think that it kind of gets the point of, you know, are we talking about changing game rules? Are we affecting strategy? And to me, the shift is just another strategy. I do acknowledge that it has blown up lately. I mean, if you look at the percentage of shifts even two or three years ago, it is significantly up, you know, 2021 compared to 2019, 18, 17, and so on. Maybe there's a way to modify it but I think ultimately you know the game I think the game has the capacity to change itself I mean as teams place more emphasis on different kinds of hitting I think that that also has the ability to change it but I don't deny for a second what you're saying that people are not going to see a ground ball that used to be a base hit not be a base hit and people are not sitting at home and uh, expecting the same thing either. And I completely understand that frustration. So I'm not trying to be the new age stats person defending it. And for me, it just doesn't even come from the place of stats. It just comes from the idea of what is strategy versus something that deserves the rule. But I mean, I'm probably wrong and it's probably going to change. And you know, you can play this back for me at any point, and I will happily sit there and eat crow, and I do not mind. <laughs> we would never do that to you. I know, but I'm just saying, you know, I understand that I have a bit of the stat person's approach, but I just think, I mean, I don't, I also don't want to be watching a game where the umpire calls time because the guy's foot is a little bit too far over, you know? I mean, I haven't been to a minor league game where they've been uh, policing this. And I know that's starting even more this year. So maybe I'll try to get to a game to actually see how it works. But, you know, those are the type of things where I sort of cringe. It's like, oh, wait, stop. You're in the wrong place. That's a balk. You know, like, I don't know if we want to get there either. Well, I- I'm seeing, Cody, What, what what's being reported that, they are thinking about going back to extra innings with the starting with a runner on second. Yeah, I just saw that earlier. I think Jason Stark of the Athletic had it that they're the league and yeah. the, pub, the players association are uh, talking about bringing it back. I, but I mean, I'm good with, with or without it. I know Chris is a big fan of it. Okay, so can can I, can I give you my why I love it? Please. See, I don't get to turn the game off, and I don't get to go home. I got to work after the game. So it might yeah. be great for a lot of people to be like, I don't care, and it's just the way baseball is supposed to be. But you know what? When I'm there at 1, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still on the air, 
I, it's miserable. And I know for a fact when people like the traditionalists, I look at them and go, man, you just don't get business. The television ratings are gone. The radio ra- the radio ratings are gone. The majority of everybody in the ballpark's gone. So when a game goes 16 innings, who's enjoying it anyway? And it just screws up your pitching staff for a week. I see no benefit to it. I, you know what, this is what I'm going to say. When we first found out about it, well, when it first got implemented in the minors, I was very excited to see how it would work. I remember going to a double A game and the game ending in the bottom of the ninth and me being so upset because I wanted us to get to 10 so I could see this in action. And when it first started the major league level, I had a little bit of that feeling of, all right, what is this? What's going on? Is this, does this really feel like Major League Baseball to us? But I got used to it. And I have to say that I, like you, I'm working until long after that final out. And there is a practicality there. And to everyone who says we didn't get long games, I do return you to, what was it? A 15 inning game between the Dodgers and Padres last year, even with it. I mean, there was something crazy. So I am not as against it as, uh, you know, it might be expected. Let's put it that way. You know, right now with so much uncertainty and players out there and trades that could be made and it's, you know, we're going to have like an off season that's going to, instead of being a full off season, it's going to be like uh, a couple weeks and and to remake your club. And it's very strange, but it's actually a lot of fun to watch. Right now, if you had to say, you know what, I'm really interested in this team, who would that team be and why? Well, you know, there are a million answers. Well, there's 30 answers to this. But my answer is actually a team that just did something, and I promise I would have said them three hours ago also. I'm really interested in the Mariners. I am. I mean, we know Jerry Depoto was going to do something, and he just did. He got Eugenio Suarez taking on a contract that he, that he had that the Reds, I guess, were done with. And Jesse Winker is a really good player. And again, I'm sorry, I'm piling on and saying positive things about teams in your division. Oh. I sincerely apologize for that. But you know, they have the potential to be really interesting, especially with the expanded playoffs. They came so close last year. And I haven't, I mean, they and the Blue Jays, I think would have been in if, if we had that set up, um, I think, or at least one of them. But regardless, they were so close. They're really young and up and coming. And they have Robbie Ray now. And, you know, I love J.P. Crawford. I'm excited to see what Kyle Lewis does now that he's hopefully back and healthy after some injury issues last year. So, you know, I feel like they still need a few more moves, uh, but they have the money. I mean, they could sign Chris Bryan. I'm not sure that's been talked about, but they could do that. Michael Conforto seemed interesting there, but I think Winker kind of uh, exhausts that. But they're an interesting team to watch for sure. All righty. We're looking forward to a uh, terrific 22 MLB season. Maybe a little rough for the A's. We're just going to be honest. But uh, we're looking forward to having you. We're looking forward to having you on through the years. You're, you're, you're literally the best follow on Twitter. Uh, we love reading you. And we can't wait to talk to you throughout the season. Thank you so much. So good to talk with you.
You're the best. Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Um, let's get, you know, she she really, you talk about someone who loves the game and loves, like, everybody in the game. Her The knowledge that she comes up with on Twitter, she really is second to none. Oh, it's impressive. It really is. And I actually reach out to her when I – you, yes, when she's I, when a I, resource for you. Yeah, when I can't find things on my own on Baseball Savant or, I, or I'm having trouble looking up, Sarah helps me with it. Um, so, you know, that relation, building that relationship with her has been great over the past, you know, over the years. You know, we met her, what, in 2019 at the ballpark when she was out here for the wildcard game. And we've been, you know, close. We, the three of us have been close on this show and, and stuff since. So it's been great. And you're right. Her uh, Twitter follows are she's the one, probably the best follow on Twitter. You're right. At S Langs on Sports is her Twitter handle if you want to follow her. Speaking of Twitter, quickly before we get to Vince Catronio in a minute, new teams emerging in the Freddie Freeman sweepstakes. Who is it? A Japanese team. No. Um, an American team. Uh, no. It's not an American team? It's not a team in the United States? They're not in the United States. I'm baffled then. The Blue Jays have had conversations with oh, Freddie Freeman's camp. Not an American team. It conveyed serious interest in the him. The Montreal Expos. Yeah, well, they might be. They could come back in a few years. But yeah, the Blue Jays, apparently, according to John Morosi of MLB, uh, MLB Network and Fox Sports, saying that the Blue Jays have had conversations with Freddie Freeman's camp and conveyed serious interest as his free agency decision nears. Sources confirm Freeman, a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. And played for Canada at the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Okay. Um, where did I miss something? I thought he was from Southern California. He is. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, is his wife Canadian or something? Uh, that's a great question. Was he born in Canada? Uh, I'm going to try to see if they have Sorry on my Freddie Freeman knowledge. He grew up in Southern California. Both of his parents were born in Canada. So? He was born here. Yeah, but that's why he has dual citizenship, probably, because his parents probably went back and forth, or they traveled to Canada so much. Is he family? So if you're born in the United States... I don't know. You're you're asking You're an American. Yes. You're not. You're a United States citizen. You can apply for citizenship if your parents were born in Canada? I guess that's how that works. I I don't know. I don't know either. My parents were born here, so... I'm not that good on immigration law and those types of things. Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, my California University of Pennsylvania education, big win on Saturday in the tournament, uh, didn't uh, didn't pay for me to learn how to be uh, immigration laws. By the way, we were going to get into this. I don't know if we're going to have time. We, we, we really do need to explore these. We used to be the $100 million contracts that everybody was worried about. Now exploring $300 plus million contracts. I mean, if you really look at Mookie Betts' year last year. Not good. He like, was hurt. His on-base percentage was good, which led to a, 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 a good OPS at 854. But power down, uh, RBIs down, X doubles way down. I mean, everything was down. So then you start throwing in Lindor and now Fernando Tatis and the health of Trout. A lot of these super huge contracts not going the way of organizations. Vinny, how are you? It is 80 degrees and sunny. It'll be in the 80s all week. 
to get down to 70 on Sunday, back in the 80s all next week. How, I am ready to talk about stuff that's happening on a baseball field. How, how excited are you for Friday? I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, yes, and it's going to be bittersweet, certainly. You know, it's, it's begun to, to hit me again, you know, that we're going to be without Ray, and yeah. especially so on Friday because, you know, I, it happened long before I got there, but in all my years, you know, the first day, the first two days of spring training, uh, and the pregame show always was parts one and two of Ray with Billy Bean on the State of the Union. And, you know, we're not going to have that this year and, you know, moving forward. It's, that's going to be tough, but I'm certainly looking forward to uh, the baseball, looking forward to seeing Ken and, and getting back to work. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, how close the broadcast team is and how close Ray was to all of us and to you and how much he cared about you and and what he brought you know, being on radio on days that he wasn't on television or, or during spring training. And, you know, you talk about someone that loved this organization and loved the A's, no matter what, good, bad, or ugly, no one loved it more than Ray Fossey. And it's going to be a year where we're, we're going we're gonna to pay tribute to this great man the entire year. But, yeah, I mean, the loss, I don't think we really know what it's going to be like until we go through it. And the other side of it, too, which made Ray so special is that, look, as we saw beginning today or even a couple of days ago, first with Chris Bassett and now with Matt Olson. And if you were believe everything you're reading, it's there's still more to come, that there's going to be a lot of change with this club. And while maybe the competitor in Ray would be frustrated that, like many fans, uh, would say, I wish we could have kept this club together longer. That's not happening. He would do an excellent job of of finding the positive in who's coming or who we get to see grow and who might be that next wave. The club is trying to find their way back to the postseason and, and do so during a, you know, a, a multi-year run. And uh, I guess, you know, for a variety of reasons, which are out of all of our control, they made the determination that this is the time that they've got to make that kind of evaluation. And, and that's underway. And they've, you know, they've made some moves. They've gotten some power arms back and we'll see what else, comes ahead for us this season will be which number for you at the athletics uh 17 number 17 so you think about that for me i think this is like year 25 26 doing this in the bay area you're talking 17 years all these years we've talked ballpark and here we are on march 14th 2022 and we still don't have a deal for one and it's no, so but, and it's so tough that all these years we go through all this and different players and this this is not the first time this has happened. Hopefully, it's going to be the last. But it's just you know we've been on this roller coaster with a new ballpark for a long, long time. I think you'll agree, Chris, because you've been very close to it with the with the variety of shows you've done with Dave Cavill with the Bills program that you guys have done. Uh, nobody's pushed it closer to the goal line than Dave and his team. And it does seem much more like a reality than, than you know, the, the lifetime of, of the conversation about moving. And so we'll keep our fingers crossed that by, you know, during the summer and certainly maybe by the end of, of the baseball season, we have a, you know, a clearer picture of what everybody hopes will be, uh, you know, the beautiful ballpark at Howard Terminal and, and what that would mean for this organization moving forward. 
And, you know, I, I started the show out with this, and, you know, we have to be honest. I thought this was a very shrewd move by both the Atlanta Braves and the Oakland Athletics long term. I mean, Braves fans are not going to be thrilled with this, but it could be a great move for them. But for us, we, you know, the one thing we always have to be cognizant of is the fans. And it's very tough when you have players that you love and you lose them. Yep. And, but you got, you've got to keep in mind also, this is, I mean, right or wrong, this is something maybe A's fans are more accustomed to than any other group of uh, fandom in baseball because they've seen the turnover time and time again. And while they've said goodbye to, you know, players that they've liked, they've, they've, come to embrace the, the next crop of players through a combination of, of trade and acquisition. And, you know, you, you look at the group that, that they moved. Chris Bassett they acquired in a, in a trade. Marcus Simeon they acquired in a trade. You know, you look at uh, what else is happening. You know, Josh Reddick back in the day was acquired in the trade. Frankie Montas, Amanai, I mean, the list goes on and on. Ramon Laureano, these are guys that are close to, to the A's uh, group and these were guys that were not originally part of the organization so you got to give credit to Billy and David and the rest of the staff that that identifies players and and makes those kind of decisions now nobody wants to you know everybody would love to, to fall in love with their team and keep them you know uh, in, until the very end of the line if possible that just doesn't happen very often with the with the majority of teams and even look at what you know the Atlanta Braves who won the World Series have made a decision to arguably move what was going to be this this group's Chipper Jones and and said goodbye to him, that he's not going to finish his career as an Atlanta Brave. So, I mean, it, there, there are different decisions for every organization to make, and this is the one that the A's have made, and this is what we're going to deal with. So I'm looking forward to seeing Christian Pache, Rome, the outfield. He's supposed to be a plus-plus defender. They got two dynamic power, number one, pick, you know, first-round pick arms in these deals with, with the Mets and with the Atlanta Braves. And we'll see what, if these guys can, can uh, accelerate through the system and see if they get a chance to participate on the big leagues, you know, 23 and uh, no later than 24. Some well, guys even this year. You know, when, when, when these things go down, it makes you realize why Bob Melvin left for San Diego and why Mark Kotze is the right guy for the job. I mean, if you would have brought somebody in here – that did know did know the organization, didn't have the relationships, didn't have the relationship with the front office or the other minor league coaches, minor league players, big league players. Just how key is continuity and Mark Kotze for what this organization is going to do going forward? Look, we we all respected the kind of player that Mark Kotze was. You know, the the, the words used to describe his abilities. You know, you know, a headsy player. Uh, you know, a guy that was uh, managing from center field, a guy that you had great leadership and great skills and made the most of everything that he had in his body. And those things will translate as he, you know, makes this transition as a manager. There will be, there will be challenges. I mean, things will, even for somebody that played for as long as he played and he's been coaching as long as he's played, some things will come upon him faster than maybe he had anticipated. And he will adjust to that. That's the nature of, you know, doing this for the very first time even though he's surrounded by people like Brad Ausmus, who he's very close with as a bench coach, and the coaching staff that they've been together now for several years. So he's going to rely on them. And yet, he's, as he told us, you know, when he first had a chance to meet with the media, you know, what are you, how are you different than Bob Melvin? And they said he's taking nothing away from Bob, who is as accomplished as, as they come in the big leagues. But 
Mark Cotte says you will you will you will read my emotion easier easier during the course of a game or or as games go on than maybe with Bob. It had nothing to do with Bob's want or willingness to win every single game, which he certainly wanted to do, and the challenges he had with trying to absorb losses and doing so basically from a you know from a place away from people to see. You may see more of it outwardly from Marcotte. That's going to be a little bit different thing, I think, for A's fans. And well, I think that spark will play for a club that's that's going to be. You know, they're going to have to for the for the deficiencies that they potentially are going to have at the outset, especially moving the kind of veterans that they've had and the kind of production they've had. They're going to have to be very good at playing the game. You know, taking the extra base, knowing when to take the extra base. The A's had the most outs on on the bases in the league, not including home, you know, like first to third, you know, home to second, you know, things of that nature, that those kinds of things they're going to have to be much, much better at uh, as, as they try to determine who's the talent, who's the group that they're going to go with moving forward. I think Mark will, will, will find a way to put the stamp of who Mark Kotze was as a player, heads up, always in the game, knew what was expected of him, knew what he could deliver. And we'll see that stamp on the field. All righty, since the lockout, what's <laughs> what's the deal? What's the signing? Other than take the A's out, what's the one that's been most interesting to you? I think the what the what the Twins and what the Yankees have done with with that trade yesterday with Urshel and Sanchez going to Minnesota, and then Isaiah Kiner-Falefer and Josh Donaldson going to the Yankees. I thought that was unique. First of all, we know Minnesota hasn't beaten the Yankees in the postseason since you know. Methuselah was a pup, as one of my old partners used to say. I mean, that they've lost like 18 straight postseason games for them. So they've taken two of their players and they put them on, on their roster to see if that can that help them. And they've, you know, they've acquired Sonny Gray as well. So they've been very aggressive. I don't think they're done either. I think the Minnesota Twins are, are a surprising team for the level of aggressiveness we've seen once the lockout lifted. I, I would put them, for me personally, because, because I consider it unexpected, at the top of the list. Well, I got to tell you, last year, one of the most odd press conferences was Garrett Cole being questioned about spider tack. And one, <laughs> and one of the reasons why he was questioned was because of Josh Donaldson. And that's kind of what JD brings. And JD's kind of that guy when he's on your, your, when he's on your side, you love him. When he's not on your side, it's a whole different ball game. But man, Kiner Falefa and what JD, what they're bringing to New York, it's interesting. They got that it factor. Look, when when, when Josh Donaldson made his debut for the A's in the big leagues, he was a you know kind of a, for lack of a better, he was kind of like a, a pudgy, doughy kind of catcher when he caught Geo in in Toronto in in the debut, and the, the way that he's transformed himself and his persona and uh, allowed that to come out of him really speaks volumes on who Josh Donaldson has, has become. And we certainly saw it with the A's and it, then it grew with the blue Jays then going on other places. He's got to stay healthy, but he certainly has, has what a lot of people feel like is necessary in New York, which is that, that edge that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm watching you and we're going to do things a certain way. And if it's not done a certain way, you're going to hear from me. And we'll see if that, and that plays out because Aaron Boone is considered, you know, uh, you know, this, this very uh, relaxed kind of players manager handling, you know, the, the, on paper, the premier team in our sport, you know, with 
history and things of that nature. And maybe they felt like they needed something that's going to not that not that Booney doesn't have fire because we've seen some of that. But I think having fire from a player is much different than having fire from the manager. All righty, Vinny. Cannot wait for Friday. It's going to be great to hear you guys back on the air. Are you coming down at all? Are you going to come down here? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, but uh, we'll see how that works. Well, we'd love to have you. It's gorgeous right now. I'm ready. I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready for the crack of the bat. Awesome. We'll be listening. All right. Thanks, Tony. Vince Catronio, one of the voices of your Oakland Athletics. This Friday, who are we taking on the first game? I believe it's uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Disneyland and left fielder Mike Trout. Could be DH Mike Trout. Oh, uh, they they put up a thing on MLB Network, and I grabbed the graphic. I'm glad you brought up the Bray, or brought up the the Angels. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Here it is. Mike Trout, his uh his span since 2019 in center field the last three years, minus 17 defensive runs saved is tied with Jacoby Jones of Detroit for the worst among the 34 center fielders with at least a thousand innings played in center field. Wait, say that again. Mike Trout has a negative seventeen, and when it comes to defensive runs saved, that's the, that's tied for the worst in baseball with Jacoby Jones among the thirty-four qualified center fielders who played at least a thousand innings in center field. I don't know. I'll still take him. I'll, I'll take his bat any day of the week. No, I'll still take him. Out I mean, he's robbed a lot of home runs. I mean, but I'll I still take him out in center. But it's funny. Uh, it was funny. Also, you were talking about the Donaldson and. Garrett Cole thing because I was a whole, yeah, that was yeah, a huge thing today. I am I am all in except on defensive metrics. Defensive metrics, I think defensive metrics they had to come up with something. It's very it's very it's not as good as the offensive metrics or pitching metrics. And then again, pitching metrics, it's like some of it is like. You know, as as Scott Emerson says, do you get outs? Do you get outs? You mean, there may be certain things you do well, but do you just, in the end, can you compete and get outs? Yeah, if you're an outfitter, can you catch the ball? Can you track a fly ball? I mean, I don't see Mike Trout stumbling all over himself out there when when we've played him. No, he's uh he's pretty good. But you know, you just gave him. You just said he's the worst outfielder in baseball. I didn't say that. I that's what MLB Network is telling me. That's what they're telling you with the stats. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he's the worst guy. I've, I out of all the because you're saying out of all the center fielders or out of all the outfielders. Center fielders. I'll look out, of, out of all the center fielders, he's the worst guy in baseball. Tied for the worst. Tied <laughs> for the worst. You really believe that? Not even close. Well, wait a minute. Then then. Then you're agreeing with me that that you can't. Trust I don't think the, I don't think he's as bad as these these numbers say, or I, maybe their numbers are just not as good. It's I almost think, like they've forced. I get the offensive. I get I I get the pitching. It's like defensive metrics have been forced on us. See a guy like him, I don't think you can you can do the whole metrics thing. Like, oh well, he's not good defensively. A guy like Castellanos, who is the the worst outfielder in baseball. Defensively, with the numbers, he has no speed. That's what I mean. So the the DH is helping him a lot while he's. I, I get it, but you can watch him and go, he's got no speed. Yeah, you can actually tell that he's not not a yeah. good outfielder. But Trout, you look at him, you're like, wow, this guy's a superstar. And they're telling you that, and these metrics are telling you, the worst. actually, he's a, he's tied for the worst in the league. I, the worst, like he's not even middle of the pack. Like we could throw 
Mark Canna out there. Mark Canna's light years better than he is. I mean, come on. Glad you mentioned Canna the other day. He was walking into Mets spring training, and someone asked for an autograph. And I'm pretty sure they thought that he was Chris Bassett. And then he was like, I would sign it for you if I was Chris. And he's flying <laughs> the way that walked in. Oh, man. But, yeah, the, the defense – I'm with you on the defensive metrics. Because, like, even remember, they, will, people, they would always say the how good of an outfielder Canna was, for example. And then you look at the defensive metrics, and they were always not that great. Like you look at me like, oh, he's a negative this in defensive run save. Hey, a guy that was playing first base for the A's is now playing center field. I think that's pretty impressive. Canna was a godsend defensively. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he could go out there and help out, I mean, it was, it was like you got to understand the value that is to a team. Uh, that, that's where, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, one of the reasons why the A's won so many games was the versatility of Mark Canna in the outfield. Is he Willie Mays or King Griffey Jr. or Steve Finley or Jim Edmonds? No. But the fact that he could respectably go out there and play a premier defensive position really helped the ball club. So that's where it's like, okay, your metrics may not love him, but boy, the team did because he did a lot to help the team do what? Win. That's all that matters. And that's really all that matters, right? I mean, I so that's where... Ah, that's where numbers numbers are great, but you know sometimes numbers don't tell the whole story. I'm with you on that. I'm sorry. I'm looking. I want to confirm this because someone tweeted this out, and it was about. Um, I'm looking at the Reds payroll for this year, and it was uh, the guy that tweeted it out is a digital sports columnist and editor for a TV station in Cincinnati, and he's verified. So I don't know why he'd lie about it. According to this, his name is Richard Skinner. For what it's worth, po, po, uh, per Spo track, Ken Griffey Jr. is the sixth highest paid Reds player this season at $3.59 million. The Reds are still paying Griffey? Deferred money? That's what I mean. They're deferring money. So oh, guys defer money forever. I mean, well, look at Bobby Bonilla. Right, the Nats are going to be paying Max Scherzer forever. I remember, I remember there was a time when I was working with Tom Tolbert. And he hadn't played for the Warriors in so long, and he was still getting checks by the Warriors. Uh, that's ended, but I was just like, you're still getting paid by the Warriors? Yeah, guys, you can defer money forever and be getting paid. Yeah, it doesn't have him on here, but so I don't know where he found that, but I, you wouldn't, I, wouldn't tweet, I wouldn't be tweeting that out if I was just making that up just to make it up. About the deferred money? Yeah. Oh, guys will get paid forever. Well, that's what I mean, but I, I, I looked for myself on the same website, and I didn't see it on there. So maybe he has a way of finding it, but um, we, you won the, we'll save the $300 million contracts for, for Wednesday. They're not looking good. No, and they – well, we had um, – Can you name one that does? Um, how, do you want, how do you want to qualify it, though? Are you talking about winning a World Series or just being good individually? Winning a World Series is a team game. True, it's a team. Teams win championships. This isn't this isn't golf. This isn't tennis. This isn't NASCAR. And even with the NASCAR, you could say it's you know your pit crew. But I'm just saying, a baseball player is important, but one guy clearly does not win a championship, and no position in baseball is as valuable. As a goalie or a quarterback. Agreed. I agree on the, both of those, especially the goalie part. The two most influential positions in team sports is quarterback and goalie. How many times have you watched 
well, we've watched, but uh, just anyone. How many times have you watched a goalie carry a team to the Stanley Cup final? Jonathan Quick a lot did it. of them. Jonathan Quick did it twice for the Kings. Patrick Waugh did it multiple yeah. times. A goalie can carry you to the – and look at a quarterback – uh, Tom What's Brady. What's his name? Osgood for the Red Wings. Yeah, Chris I mean, Osgood, yeah. all kinds of goalies have carried teams. Yeah, you get a hot goalie, you can ride because he play. He's the only guy, the only player. Unless you're going back to like Wilt Chamberlain, who played like every. Wilt Chamberlain played more minutes than there were possible in a season because he played every game, the entire game, and games that went into overtime. Yeah, he was uh, unreal. So, but in modern day sports, the only guy that's on the, on the, on the pitch, or uh, well, I guess soccer players are on the whole time, huh? Not always. They're substitutions. But in hockey, I guess you throw the goalie in for soccer. Then you'd have to throw him in. Yes. Uh, they're the guys on. They play the whole game. No pitcher is in there for the entire game. And there's been so many good examples. And people go, hey, wait a minute, what if he goes nine innings? Yeah, but he goes to the bench. Baseball's a sport where no one's on the field the entire time. Football, you'd have to play both ways. Basketball, you'd have to never get substituted. The hockey goalie in three periods never leaves the ice. That's how much control of a game he can have. He never leaves the competition. I think I think the best example of the goalie. So I guess soccer guys could be in that too. Yeah, and I think the best example of a goalie carrying carrying a team would be the 2010 Winter Olympics when team when Team USA when we lost to Canada and Ryan Miller was named the MVP of the tournament even though he was on the losing team. Uh, he carried Team USA pretty much. There was a couple of big goals scored by Zach Parise in that in there in there, but Ryan Miller was awesome. But going back to the 300 million dollar contracts, if you're talking about winning a World Series, I mean. Mookie Betts did win one. Okay. That's one. I mean, Bryce Harper's won an MVP, but they have made the playoffs. And, oh, by the way, he won it in the COVID year, which is a great accomplishment for them winning it in the COVID year. But, I mean, that was pretty much a, a roll of the dice. Yeah, and let's see. A-Rod was the $300 million when he won with the Yankees, so we can't throw him in there. Let's see. Uh, like what – Like like – we would actually have to really say, what do you have to do to live up to the deal? Well, here's a good example. This is just Fernando Tatis's injuries from last year. April 9th, he missed nine games for a shoulder injury. Uh, May of last year, he missed eight games because he had COVID-19. That's, that's different than being in, than injured. July of 2021, he missed 13 games because of a shoulder injury again. You can go all the way back to his rookie year. He missed 34 games because he had a bad hamstring. And then he was 43 games because he had a bad low back, lower back. Now he's going to be out for three months because he has a fractured wrist, which sounds like from what Twitter's telling me, and, and Jesse Rogers of ESPN had the tweet, friend of the program, that it sounds like it was a motorcycle accident. He's in this, what, second year of this deal? And this is already happening? It's, not, it's never a good sign. Uh, Machado, the Padres have won a World Series. He hasn't won an MVP either. Uh, let's see. Who, are we forgetting anyone that's a $300 million player? Garrett Cole, I haven't seen the Yankees in the World Series yet. He hasn't even won a Cy Young. Now, that, again, that's not his fault, but, well, the 2019 year he should have won it, but Verlander got it because he had an extra win. But there's a lot of the guys, if you look at it just criteria of winning a World Series or, or winning you know, individual accolades, the only guy to really do is Bryce Harper. He won the MVP last year. 
Here's something that I'm look, trying to look at the postseason batting for Mookie Betts. And they don't have – so they don't have what he did in the World Series. They only have – they have everything else, though. So, like, in the NLCS against the Braves, he had a buck 74. So he didn't do a whole heck of a lot to get the Dodgers into the World Series. They said he had a buck 74. What did he hit in the World Series? I'm trying to. I'm trying to look. This Mr. Up. 300 million. Well, for 300 million in the NLCS, he hit 174 in his weight. What did he do in the World Series? He hit 269 with two homers and three RBIs. But he also had a lot of good defensive. Yeah, some grab one. Yeah. Whatever game it was, he had one amazing diving catch. Yeah, he's a really good defensive outfielder. I think Mookie's great, but I, you know. Again, one guy's not, he's the only guy to win a World Series. We take away the, that accolade of winning a World Series, and you just look at the individual ones. One guy's done something, and it was, and it was just last year with Harper. I mean, Machado's put up numbers in San Diego. They haven't won. They haven't won. Yeah. So you know, it'd be great, and we really could actually do this. It takes some time, but we could actually look at attendance. Um, we could find ratings. Like, from year to year, how did the business of the Philadelphia Phillies change with Harper winning an MVP? Like, is there a dramatic change in attendance? Is there a dramatic, like, like we could, I mean, it'd take time, but, like, we're, we're, we're things off the charts business-wise. Because if they're not, then you're like, okay, so what did they really get for him winning the MVP from a business standpoint? Did the bottom line of the business – for the Philadelphia Phillies change because he won an MVP. He uh, – well, this this looking at the attendance records, the stats from last year, the, the Phillies ranked 19th in baseball with 19,000 fans averaged per game. So, in an MVP year, you got your team to 19th in attendance. Oh, sorry. Yeah. They averaged 19,000. They had 1 million, 1.5 million people. Oh, what? They had 1.5 million fans come to the ballpark. Last year? Yeah. Remember, Philadelphia was different than – Pennsylvania is a lot different than other states when it comes to – Were they closed a lot for COVID? Uh, they were open – they probably opened up in sometime in April. April or – because, like, California was June. Yeah, see, see, it's it's really tough at these times to really look at attendance and everything because people I mean, didn't go – people didn't go to games, so hey, scratch that. I mean, I mean, also, I mean, look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers had a city – they couldn't have full capacity until June, and they led baseball in attendance. Yet everybody rips them. Yeah, well, because uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, everyone shows up in the third inning, leaves Show in the seventh. Show up late, or leave early, but yet they – nobody – and I and I remember when I saw this, I just – I chuckled because of the uh, show up late, leave early. Since the Dodgers moved west, no one has had more people attend games in Major League Baseball than Dodger fans. Plus, the, how many – that seat, that stadium seats, what, 50,000? 50, Something Whatever, like what, what, and remember the Coliseum when they first got here, the Coliseum at that time, I think still, it's been changed since the Rams have got in there. But back in the day, the Coliseum for USC and the Rams, when the Dodgers first moved there, and really when I was a kid, the Coliseum, you could sit like, and the Olympics had the opening ceremonies in 84. You could fit like 110 or 150, 115,000 people in there for a long time, but they redid it. The Rams did and USC. Now USC runs the Coliseum and they've redone it. Um, 
But, yeah, as much as everybody rips Dodger fans, since the Dodgers moved west, what, and was that, 58? Yeah, it was around, right, right around the same time as the Giants, right? It was the exact same, same year yeah, as the Giants, so. 1958. Uh, no one has had more people attend their games than the Dodgers. Not the Yankees, not 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 the Red Sox, not anybody else. Dodgers. Yeah, they had 2.8 million fans last year, according to ESPN's um, attendance. That's pretty good for a team that, you know, 81 home games and they uh, and they couldn't have full capacity until June. Uh, that's that's really impressive. Just to make sure that numbers, yeah, the number in, in baseball reference has it, yeah. So they average around thirty, around up thirty five thousand people a game. Do you have the all time Dodgers attendance? I'd be curious when they moved west in fifty eight. I'm sure they were there a couple years. Uh, what their attendance was at the uh, L.A. Coliseum with the short left field porch. Uh, let me see if we can do it by year. Oh, you can do year by year. Let me see if we can do it by. Um, am I, am I, I don't be able, I don't know if I'll be able to do it right now, but I, sh- I should be able to find that. Because you could have probably got close to – because remember the Rockies' first couple of years at Mile High got huge attendance numbers because they were playing a football stadium. And everybody was all jacked up that they got a baseball team. Also, speaking of the Rockies. Baseball Almanac would have it. Well, I'm looking at 1958 Major League Attendance and Team Age. Oh, boy. Uh, the leader was the actually the Milwaukee Braves and then the Los Angeles Dodgers, 1.8 million. Would they average 23, about 24,000? Uh, I thought it would be bigger. I underdelivered, overpromise and underdeliver. Never do that in sales. All right, that will do it for A's Cast Live. Uh, a day I think we'll never forget. The day Matt Olson was traded. And gives you an idea of where this team is going forward. It's not going to be an easy season. And yet you sell it one one way, is that you trust the process. It's not the first time this has happened. And the organization survives, and the organization goes through a quick, rough time. And then, boom, they're back in the playoff hunt. So I don't know when that will be. Will it be this year, next year, the year after that? I don't know. I know they will be. They don't stay they don't stay down for long, but it will be tough to go to opening day and to not have Matt Olson, not have Chris Bassett, and who knows who else. But we'll cover it like nobody else. We'll be back on Wednesday from one to four, and then on Friday, we are on what time? 11 to 1 before our game. 11 to 1, and then we've got A's baseball on the air. Ken and Vince coming your way right here on A's Cast. We'd like to thank Matt Kawahara of the Chronicle, Ben McDonald, former big leaguer, now with Orioles Television, Craig Mish from South Florida, talking about the Marlins, Sarah Langs from MLB.com, and one of the voices of your Oakland Athletics, Vince Catronio. We'd like to thank them all. You've been listening to A's Cast Live. We'll replay the whole entire show for you in case you missed the start. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you on Wednesday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.